superhero movies in that period had a tie-in single like there was a big single attached to them exactly. that goes back to like the that goes back to batman 89 as well oh true but batman 89 at least had the class to be like here's a whole damn album here's a whole prince we, we told prince to write some music for batman prince wrote an album about batman none of it's about fucking batman <laughs> except occasionally the word batman pops up some of it's in the movie some of it's in the film none of it makes sense but it's pretty great right, right. we're all doing the bat dance Hey, here's Gemini. Do you know who Gemini is? Neither does Prince. He just gave him a name. Uh, oh, weird. I want to bust your body. Oh, yeah. I want to bust that body tonight. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, well, <laughs> Daredevil had two Evanescence songs. Daredevil had Bring Me to Life and My Immortal. My Immortal wasn't. It's in the film. No. Nah. It's on the soundtrack album. They've got two songs on the soundtrack album. Because it plays over Electra's funeral. Spoiler alert for the 2003 movie Daredevil. Uh, um, yeah. Because, of course, because she... No, no, it plays over... My mortal plays over... Um, uh, her dad. I think he nachos his funeral, whatever his name is. And then she beats up a shitload of sandbags to bring me to life. Because that makes you a badass. Killing sandbags in an elaborately rigged system in your house. Gotta kill them sandbags. Gotta kill them sandbags. Son! Son! Gotta get them sandbags! Son! Son! Um, yeah. yeah, enough about singles from 2000s superhero movies. We have no news to do with superhero movies and definitely no definitely news to do with Spider-Man. No superhero movie news this week. Oh God, welcome to Big Damn Cast. My name Hello. is Chris. I can't feel my face when I'm with you, Johnson. My name is unpronounceable in your language and therefore I will simply communicate it via a sip of hot black coffee. Matt likes his coffee the way he likes his women. Boiling <laughs> in a ceramic mug. I like my women like I like my coffee. Uh, covered in bees! Um... <laughs> I like my sexual partners the way I like my orange juice. Smooth with chunky bits. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh dear. Welcome to Big Dumb Cast. Welcome. Uh, pop culture podcast, yada yada yada. Uh, it, it's like Weekly Planet, except without the accents or the money. Um, <laughs> but we don't live in a country filled with spiders and racists, so That's I true. think, well, 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 we do, but not giant spiders and giant racists like yeah. they have in Australia. I mean, we have some every giant night racists. there, every night there, they go, no, no, physically like the spiders. Every oh, night actually, they go to bed and they have to swoop a bunch of giant spiders off the porch and and put a gate up outside so that the giant racists can't come in. The it's tall a 20 racist. foot high gate. <laughs> it's like you know that Ghostbusters 2016 ghost, that one with the big long legs. It's like, it's like the gate like in King Kong. Yeah, yeah, in a way. But everyone's got one. But King Kong wasn't racist. King Kong did not no, discriminate no. based no, no. on race or gender or sexuality. He stood on everyone. He did like blondes, though. He did. He, well, that's a fetish. We can't kink shame Kong. Mm. You don't kink shame Kong. You don't kink shame Kong. Um... I'm kink-shamed, though. Oh? 
because one of my kinks has just been catered to. Oh, I know exactly what this is, and it, it um, is, as the kids say, a mood. Looks like someone's making an alien movie again. Yeah. <laughs> but not an alien movie. <laughs> Which seems to be the best kind of alien movie nowadays. Yeah. The adjacent ones not made by the alien people. So this flew completely under my radar. Um, just, I was going to make, I can't make some sort of sonar underwater joke. Because... <laughs> this flew under my sonar? Yeah. <laughs> this swam under my radar. But, um, this this so... really rustled my jimmies. When I was doing the research for this week, I came across the trailer for Underwater, mm. which is coming out over here. February uh, time? January. January. Oh, and okay. It is a uh, horror movie, drama action horror movie, in which a crew of underwater researchers must scramble to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean laboratory. Um, also looks like the something else is yeah, uh, all the, released by the earthquake. All the synopses for the film and 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 the genre and everything suggest that it's more about like it's more a, a low scale disaster movie set in an underwater base. Yeah. And then the trailer and the tagline suggest that it's a monster movie. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see whether or not it is actually a monster movie. Even... And it, and it's more a rival researchers or man is the real enemy kind of thing and they're disguising it as a monster movie the fucking diving suits look like the space suits from alien yes they do but they're not the only thing that looks like something from alien steel corridors creatures moving around in the dark picking people off one by one yeah a crew with very quirky distinct looks and personalities and specifically a female lead with a very familiar look um Kristen Close Stewart. Hair. Yeah, Kristen Stewart has gone platinum blonde, close cropped, is wearing vests, uh, vests or tank tops and tracky bottoms, and is legging it around a base as a badass scientist slash engineer kind of character. Alien 3 vibes, anyone? Yeah. Alien 3 vibes, everyone. Alien 3 vibes. She's, she's um, channeling Sigourney Weaver, and it ain't no bad thing. Director is William Eubank, who most recently uh, directed The Signal. Yeah. Um, with Olivia Cook and Lawrence Fishburne. Don't call him Larry. Um, don't call him Larry. Uh, which I hear pretty decent <laughs> or, things about. Or based on our next story, don't call him at all. Don't call yeah. <laughs> don't. Um, and script <laughs> comes from uh, Brian Duffield and Adam Kozad. What else they, what have they worked on? Ooh. Paper. Adam Kozad. Known for... Legend of Tarzan. Oh no! Now, Jack to be Ryan, fair, Shadow Recruit. Now, to be fair, what was his job on Legend of Tarzan? Was he someone who wrote the original script that was the film? It was. Uh, or was he someone? Credits. Was he someone brought in to turn it into a Tarzan film? As who was knows? the story of that movie. He's got screenplay and story credits. Uh, Brian Duffield um, has uh, writer credits on. Uh, Quarantine, short film, Insurgent, the Divergent sequel. Oh, God. Okay. Um, Jane Got a Gun, the Natalie Portman Western. Okay. Uh, the Babysitter, which is a Netflix. Um... Yeah, I did want to watch that. Yeah, that's uh, Mc... is McG? Uh, the director it is of McG. Yeah, I did want to watch McG. that one. And uh, yeah, so, you know. He's, he could not, be good. Not, not the. Not the, not the greatest writing team. The, the, well, the original writers of Legend of Tarzan and the script doctors who had to turn it into a Tarzan movie writers could all be brilliant. And they, we'll they, were just ha- they were just having to deal with the hand they were dealt and the time and the studio. Because for those who don't know, that film, that forgettable, not very Tarzan-y Tarzan film was not a film about Tarzan. It was about the, the tribes and the colonization stuff. And then 
uh, was it Warner Brothers, I guess it would be, were like, no, make it a Tarzan movie. We can yeah. make it, Tar- Tarzan's a property that sells. Make it a Tarzan movie. It's the 1930s. Um, and they did, and it flopped miserably. They were, what the hell is this? They could be great writers, and they just had to deal with what they were dealt. Or it could be like uh, your boy who writes Game of Thrones, who everyone was surprised to find out that he shit at it in the last series when the guy gave you X-Men Origins Wolverine. So, just saying. Or it could be like the Hollywood scion whose name we no longer speak, with the terrible haircuts and the famous dad, who wrote many a film and kept talking a big game, and we kept giving him chances, Mm. but he never got there. No. Never really got there. And he's here today, a slimy twat. Come on in, slimy twat. Yeah. No, don't come on in. Um, Stay out there. You know know he's been kicked off of that um, Chloe Grace movie that he wrote the screenplay for? (laughs) Ha! But he's been kicked off of it and it's been oh, yeah. completely rewritten from the ground up. Yeah, I think even with his famous dad, he's going to find his career very hard going forward. His famous dad, who made f- some phenomenal movies and, and, and staples of pop culture, but also killed two children yeah. and stunt man by uh, having them on set later than they were meant to be during the filming of a helicopter stunt yay. sequence. So, And he bounced back. Put your faith in Joe Dante is what we're saying. Joe yeah. Dante is the 80s icon to support, guys. Dante and Carpenter. But a good cast and of Lynch. as well. Um, <laughs> Actually, there's quite a few. Just not them. Lynch. Boys. David Lynch, honestly. Mm. Uh, Kristen Stewart, obviously. Um, Jessica Hen- Henwick. Mm. Fresh off Iron Fist. Uh, Vincent Cassell. Uh, but CJ Miller. Um, yeah. So... Is that our version of Bookmark Strong? Yeah. It goes the other way. It's but CJ Miller. Oh, dear. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm not sure why that happened. Looks intriguing. Looks intriguing if you like underwater creature features, which I do. I, you know, you actually had me in suspense that I was like, you about to say you don't? I'm sure you do. You love Deep Blue Sea, <laughs> as chronicled many moons ago in our, in our Meg episode. My head is like a shark's fin, <laughs> deepest, bluest. They're doing a sequel to that. They've done a sequel to that. They're doing... Straight to video. Uh, they've done it. Oh, yeah. God. How long ago was it? Oh, it was like... It was like a sci-fi channel original movie. Oh, right. That might was, be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Now, it means I have to watch it out of obligation. Mm. To find out if, indeed, it is deeper, if it is bluer. But and if its hat is like a shark's fin. Speaking of deformed heads... Yes. It's chapter two. Sort of works. Yeah. If the listener knows what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> um, so, it chapter two is out next month. Couple of weeks. Really? From here we are now. 6th of September. Yeah. Odin um, in the UK have an ingenious bit of tie-in marketing. If you go and see it within the first three days, you get the free posters. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's the older the older Losers Club in the background and Pennywise foreground cut in half at the side of the poster. It's a split double page, double, double, uh, double page spread. Well, that's the thing. If you go again after, I think it's not even at the end of those three days. It's like a few days later. There's another three-day period before the second weekend, devious, where you can get the second half of the poster, which is the rest of Pennywise and the Young Losers Club. So they make a big poster all together. Yeah. And that's heinous and sinister. And I mean, it's worked because I'm going twice, probably. I'll go once and I'll end up going again. But that also depends on if the film is good. And no official reviews well, are out as of yet. But there has been press screenings and impressions are out on Twitter. So this is important because they do this a lot now, a lot of studios. Yeah. When, they, when, they, when they've worked on a film um, quite near to the release date, it, it's it's a little rarer nowadays that it happens that that much, but it also depends on the amount of post or if they've had to do a reshoot or something. 
Um, and studios now tend to make it so that they'll schedule these screenings within a few weeks of the film's release and make that like a, a pre-embargo because reviews normally aren't formally allowed out on average till about sort of a week before the movie comes out. Um, some studios force critics to save the reviews till after release if they're worried about the reception yeah. and things like that. But on average, usually it's about a week before the release is when the first reviews yeah. start cropping yeah, up. Yeah. Um, but pre-embargo uh, viewer reactions have become a bit of a trend over the last couple of years on Twitter, especially where companies do their final screening, like the final cut of the movie gets screened. Yeah. And they make people sign NDAs and they don't invite mates. They invite some journalists, more members of the public. They get them to sign paperwork and they say, you're allowed to say something along these lines. You're allowed to say if you liked it or you didn't. You're allowed to give details adjacent to stuff people already know. That's it. Enjoy a free early screening of this movie. Yeah. Off you go. So the early reactions are out for It Chapter 2. Huh? Yeah. Huh. And it's a mixed bag. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, I wasn't seeing that. It's veering towards positive. Okay. But um, so, the, some choice tweets picked out by um, the good people over at Den of Geek. Uh, we presume. <laughs> Scott Menzel says, uh, It Chapter 2 is the biggest disappointment of the year. Oh. A dull and really? mess that spends too much time rehashing things from the first film. There are a few good moments, but the film ultimately lacks suspense and scares. The performances are also a mixed bag. Oh dear. Uh, Chris, Evan- Chris Evangelista. It Chapter 2 has a rushed, clumsy first act and an odd lack of chemistry in when the adult loses, but it eventually finds its footing. This is a big movie. A go-for-broke horror blockbuster not afraid to make weird choices. Bill Hader steals the show. Of course he does, it's Bill Hader. Uh, and that's a... Uh, Continuing theme across these reactions. Oh, Bill Hader um, nabs it from everybody. Yeah, uh, much Perry... like much like Finn Wolfhard tended to do with yeah. certain scenes in the original. Uh, Perry Nemiroff. Uh, it chapter two isn't as refined as the first, but it's still an excellent ensemble piece, oozing with heart and packed with extremely well crafted set pieces. Machete weaves the young and adult losers together super well, giving it to a truly epic feel. MVP Bill Hader is Richie. Um, uh, nice. Haley Fooch says it chapter two is big and amb- is big and ambitious and can't quite handle the weight of its aspirations, but it's still a fine piece of heartfelt horror. The parts that work work really well, and Bill Hader is every bit the scene stealing standout we all hoped he'd be. <laughs> nice um, Bill. Bill's either way. Bill's coming away. From he's this. doing well. And this um, <laughs> Peter Sieretta from Slash Film. Uh, it chapter two is probably scarier than chapter one. More Pennywise and Richie to haunt your dreams. But it also loses a lot of charm in the shift from in focus from the coming of age to the now adult characters. At nearly three hours, it feels long. It Gosh, is a, that is it long. It is a long film. It is, it is nearly three The, fir- hours the first one's like 2.15, isn't it? Something yeah. Something like that. This is closer to three. Okay. Uh, yeah. Kate Gardner. Um, Mind you, it's a, big bu- it's a big bloody book. It is a big book. It's, it's a like big the, bloody it's like book. It's the second longest book King, King wrote behind the stand. The stand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, saw your which, co- I saw your copy of that the other week. Jesus wept. Which I, I also love the stand, but fuck me, it's long. But that's <laughs> getting a... We've talked about that already. Oh, yeah. Um, Kate Gardner says, It Chapter 2 is an amazing look at friendship and trauma that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. Bill Hader and James Ranson absolutely steal the show. I cannot wait to see it again. James Ranson is Eddie, I think. Yes. Um... Uh, Juan Mad Pelicula. Hmm. So everything that's awesome and imperfect in It Chapter 2 comes straight from the novel. The horror in this one is way more brutal. A lean adaptation would solve the re- would, would have solved the repetitive loop of the third act. 
Cast is great and the direction impressive. Very good, but not great. Uh, Mike Ryan says, for the most part, I liked it. Chapter 2. First half of this pretty long movie is great. And the new adult cast is stellar. Second half isn't as tight. And overall, Chapter 2 isn't as tight as the first movie. Dorian Park says, saw it. Chapter 2 last week. Definitely lives up to the hype of the first one by delivering memorable sea scares and incredible visuals. <laughs> the Adult Losers Club's chemistry was amazing. It's scary AF. Um, a couple more. Sean O'Connell says, So, It Chapter 2. It's V-Good. <laughs> Alright, Bridget. But not great. <laughs> I liked it, but didn't love it. First movie is a tough act to follow. Two is gruesome, strange, but rarely scary. Nails important aspects from the book, but feels overlong. Cast is Asis, though, and Bill Hader should be in Oscar convo. Um, and finally, Eric Davis <laughs> says, It Chapter 2 is a terrific companion to It Chapter 1. Similar vibes, great ensemble chemistry with a nice mix of humour and horror. Part 2 plays heavier in tone, dealing with defeating the burden of childhood trauma, and I definitely teared up at the very end. Bill Hader steals it. Based on those reactions, I wonder if the thing people aren't engaging with as much, maybe, or the thing that's just not playing as well. It's the fact that it's older characters. Yeah. And I think like, that... It seems like the charm of the younger cast and and, 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 and the threat level associated with that in the previous one was, yeah. was something that people were disappointed not to find in this one but you know it, it's it isn't so much or maybe it's just because we know the story and we're thinking about it differently i don't know but it, it isn't so much um a continue a, a follow-up to the original but a continuation yeah so like yeah i i know it sounds weird but i'm not going into it expecting it to feel like the first one i'm going into it expecting it to feel like the first maybe. it's a different story and the first one is trying to claw you back um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I'm okay with it not being as good as the first one as long as it's not terrible. Yeah, like as long as it's still good, I'm fine with that. I just want it to be good. It's not to be great. We've had the miniseries for what nearly thirty years, and, and the miniseries honest, is the is... first half of the miniseries is better than the second half. Yeah, true. So it would make sense. I think people people often say that the the, the kids stuff in the book is more memorable and engaging than the adult stuff in the book. Which is probably why it works more as a book, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, how many times have you, you've read it? A couple of times, right? Many times. Right, so, I only read it more, once. More often than one should read a book that's like <laughs> nearly a thousand pages in hardback. The kids' flashbacks carry on till up about, up to about the end of the third quarter of the book. The kids' and flashbacks... And even then there's a couple flashbacks in the last, like, stretch. The kids' flashbacks are peppered in with through the whole thing yeah so the story of both the the children and adults um, battle with pennywise and their eventual confrontations mirror each other yeah okay so so the final confrontation with him as adults mirrors their original quote-unquote final confrontation with them as children yeah so they, maybe they, the reason it doesn't this doesn't resonate as well and similarly the tv series didn't resonate as well is because they kind of changed that. Yeah. So that the last thing you get to really invest in is just the adult story. Yeah. Because the TV miniseries stops the flashback. Episode one is back and forth. It's mostly set in their youth and, and them in the present day hearing and remembering. Well, and then epi- he's come back. One... And then there's a few flashbacks in episode two. Well, episode one takes the structure that the book... And... Some of part two takes the structure that the books do, whereas what the books do is, as you're introduced to each of the characters, i.e. where they are in the present day, Yeah, they get the summons, and then... We get a flashback. And as they're on the way, each one gets a chapter where they're on their way 
to back to Derry, and then that's when you get each one's flashback. And right, they they okay. each each character's flashback weaves together a greater like a whole picture of how the summer starts. And then as they get closer to Derry and spend more and get and eventually I'll start meeting up and being back together. Mm. It keeps weaving in kids' flashbacks that sort of mirror what they're doing or comment on what they're doing. And it carries that on through the whole book to the point where they basically climax together. <clears throat> Giggity. All the all the, the both the kid and the adult narratives climax. A scene the they cut time. out of the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? Oh God. Yeah. That's mm. Mm. um He was coked up still. <laughs> sure. Still weird. Um but it's yeah. weird. It's it's a it's it's a weird part of an otherwise fucking great book. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's so. It's always it was always going to be difficult to adapt because of that. If the studio had been willing to take a gamble on it and film the two simultaneously, it might have been able to do that. But because they weren't sure if it was going to be a success, they obviously didn't take that gamble. Um, and so you had to sort of split them in two to give to give that um, arc. Yeah, the first movie. Although it may well be that they do. We know that the kids are in this and they've shot new stuff with them for this. Mm-hmm. So who knows what kind of form that that part of the narrative will take. But I mean... That of a dancing clown. It's a long fucking movie as yeah. well. Like, it's three hours long. It's a biggie. It is a biggie. That's long for a horror movie. Mm. I mean, how many other horror movies are that, that, that long that are good? rarely any yeah. and, and again I, I guess it's also down to the fantasy aspect of this story it's it's seen sort of more as that coming of age fantasy epic about being a kid and, and the things you learn as kids and how you grow as a person so maybe that again is why it's jarring because it, it, people go in expecting that the first couple of things he's mentioned it very heartwarming very heart uh, full yeah. of heart um Whereas them in their adult life, it's not really about the togetherness aspect. It's about how you deal with trauma and and some really horrible... Oh, they're adults now? We can get away with doing some more fucked up shit to yeah. them. Sort of set pieces. And, so, it, com- and it comes... I mean, they've, they've already talked about how Jessica Chastain has a scene uh, which it looks like is going to be a, a direct kind of follow-on to the, the sync sequence. The first one... Well, they see some bits of the trailer where she's just covered yeah, in fucking blood. This is the most blood ever used in one scene in a movie yeah. ever. Um, and it's like, I thought that belonged to Kill Bill. It's like, yeah, but they had to sort of colour it weird in Kill Bill to get away with it, didn't they? they yeah, that of... whole scene's in black and white for some weird fucking reason. Yeah, because basically it was that much blood that the... Um, was it the, the MPAA? The MPAA would just would not allow it to go out uh, <laughs> below an NC seventeen, and I, and I think Tarantino wanted it to be R rated because that was the only thing tipping it over to NC seventeen. It was I can't shot quite in color, that. I'm sure it must be an NC seventeen rating, or, or should have been, unless they the version that went out in theaters in the states was censored enough in the language department because that movie, the Kill Bill Volume One, goes well above and beyond the the comfortable R rating level of language for oh, sure. Yeah. So I don't know what that. Did. I guess he just wanted to soften. Well, the I don't blow. know though because I saw. I oh, saw, maybe it would have been unrated. I saw Good Boys this weekend. Yeah, and that's a fifteen. Mm-hmm. That film has got serious language going on, and it's all like twelve-year-olds. Yeah, one of the marketing things for that has been that they're, the they're, kids they're are not, not allowed, allowed to, watch to see the movie. The movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty damn funny. Also, pretty good child, pretty amazing child actors actually in that movie. But um, so yeah, I don't think it's language, but I mean. The original, it chapter one is that highest grossing horror movie of all time. 
Yeah. Let I, alone the highest you, grossing R-rated horror movie of all time. Can you see chapter two? Top it. Three hours, or nearly three hours, it's going to be a tough ask just because... True, but how... How is it going to struggle to fit in that many screenings? How many of your average cinema goers are checking their runtime time beforehand? I mean, think think back to sort of... True, to, I think it's going to be... To your younger years, before you sort of really got into the film and, and the mechanics of it and everything, like, this time you just go to the cinema, watch the thing, then come out and go, oh my God, what time is it? It'll probably have a really good opening weekend and then we're worried about, about the length of it spreads. Yeah. It's going gonna, to... Gonna, a bit like me in college. Um, <laughs> it's going to die a death. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, but again, I was going to say... Well, that's fine because it's the last one so just whatever money they make they make they'll definitely make a profit but there have been talks over the last few weeks especially around Comic Con as well um, Andy Machete the director has been talking about like we could do another if no. we wanted no no uh, we could we no. could do another and, no. and uh, when asked are there plans for it he says no but he says I have an idea that I if they really wanted to do it and they asked me I would I would be interested to try and develop it and it was an idea centred more around um, the entity's not a rival in Derry, but it's the years that it took on the Pennywise persona. Well, it looks like we're going to delve into some of this in this movie. Though. Yeah, so that would not necessitate a film developing that, really, would it? But I don't know. Why I'm make the third excited. one when you could just put the third one in the second one? True. We'll be talking about it in a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, I really can't wait. I'll be I'm, honest, those I'm reactions really haven't. They haven't quelled me at They're all. They've not quelled me at all, I don't, especially the Bill Hader love. Yeah, love Bill Hader. If you've never seen Bill Hader's SNL sketches as Vincent Price, look them up. They are <laughs> so funny. Was it you who told me about the, the deep fakes thing where someone... Had, Christmas for many a time of great cheer. He's on a talk show doing impressions of Tom Cruise <gasps> and uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen, And someone yes. puts their faces on his while he's doing the impression. It's, it's horrifying. It's terrifying. He just one with Schwarzenegger. It's terrifying. It's the same people who did that shiny you're, one. You do impressions and you're on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> Absolutely horrifying. It's um, a bike track in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You love most things. Yeah. Bill Hader's just generally my MVP right now, so I need to summon up the emotional strength to go and watch more Barry. But I just don't know if I can. Well, do you know it's what? Like the Handmaid's Tale, like it's just oh, exhausting. Lucy watches it, and I have to leave the room. I'm just like, this makes me sad. I can see the the, the quality. It's in this. great, and it's important, I just can't and like it. it's got <laughs> yeah. a very strong and important political message. But it's just exhausting to watch. Um, yes, there's many things that one can't sit through in nope. this life. Um, one of those things is the complete Matrix trilogy in one go. <laughs> The Matrix, the, 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 ignoring its place in pop culture and, and the development of cinema and action cinema, which is undeniably like a top of the mountain, like this is on the Mount Rushmore of significant moments in cinema movie. But ignoring that and looking at it just from a content POV, the first Matrix is kind of pretentious, but really pretty good and full of amazing ideas and, and, and memorable characters. The first Matrix is almost a perfect film. And then they made two more, back-to-back, released within six months of each other, that, again, have some really cool ideas in them, and some really snazzy visuals and set pieces. But ultimately, I think, at my my opinion, take away from the effect of the first one when you watch them all together. They kind of diminish the whole thing a bit. 
Um, I think this the, in a, a way that the Animatrix didn't. The Animatrix sort of lifted the material for me and then reloaded. And, and I think something's due a reappraisal. Well, maybe, but it's also due a sequel. I'm not going to have a choice because I'm going to have to rewatch them so, um, uh, amidst other news yesterday, which we'll get into in a moment. You've seen yes. the title. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know what we're talking about. <laughs> Amidst all that, Warner Brothers, accident, by sheer accident, poorly timed the release of some breaking news. Yeah. Uh, which is that uh, one of the Wachowskis is back to write and direct. It's not both of them, is uh, it? Lana Wachowski. Lana Wachowski. Back to write, direct, and produce. Uh, and Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss back to star in. Yep. Whether that's as the main characters or not is yet to be seen. As Neo and Trinity. So as Neo and Trinity, yeah. yeah. In The Matrix 4 working title. Um, the M4 tricks. That would be great. Oh, you know it's going to be stylized as that, right? Better fucking add be. Um, no, they'll give it a name. It'll, no, be, it'll be like the Matrix. It's... The Matrix rebooted. No. No. The Matrix soft rebooted. The Matrix Odyssey. The Matrix Chub. <laughs> the Matrix Chungus. Oh god! <laughs> the Matrix. <laughs> no, the Matrix Zero Dawn. Yeah, sure. What? The Matrix. <laughs> Black Flag. <laughs> Matrix has fallen. Well, they've done every fucking other thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at the poster for what's it called? The new one. Angel has fallen. The Matrix presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> I'd watch that. Um, is it Angels Fall, the latest one? The poster says, yeah. The sequel to Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen. It's like, yeah? Yeah. Which shows how memorable the franchise is. And also, there's no Aaron Eckhart, and him and Jared Butler are not a gay couple, so it's a waste of everyone's time. Make that movie. Make a movie in that series where the president and his bodyguard are just a couple. And then we'll be like, all right, that's kind of cool. Battle Los Angeles. The Matrix. The Matrix. <laughs> So a fourth Matrix movie. Um, the Matrix Age of Extinction. What? <laughs> the Matrix World. The Matrix. Fury Road. <laughs> um, the Matrix 4. The Quest for Peace. The real question is, why? Why? Again, I've made it clear. I really like the first one. No, nope. I can put this, I, the second and the third ones are what I have dubbed before on this podcast: ironing movies, films you just put on in the background while you're doing stuff. As always, you're asking the wrong question. Oh. The question is why not? No, the question's why. The question is definitely why. No, you can add a not in brackets all you like, sorry, Jim Laddie boy. I just I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? 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 I mean. So, it, as of now, it's 20 years nearly since the original came out. Well, Lana Wachowski says, Many of the ideas Lily and I explored 20 years ago about our reality are even more relevant now. And I'm very happy to have these characters back in my life and grateful for another chance to work with my brilliant friends. Why is Lily not doing it? Not sure. Hmm. See, that to me is strange. Now... I completely get what you're going sure. through because the Wachowskis have had a very, like, in every sense of the word, 
a very transformative period in their life between The Matrix and now. Yeah, a lot has changed for them. Um, gender reassignment, they've had um, an evolving film career that has sort of taken them to places they wanted to go and do more studio-bound work instead. It's one of them, they've always made interesting projects, even if they're not necessarily well-received. Cloud Atlas, fascinating as all hell, doesn't need to exist... It's an oddity. Speed Racer, hell of a lot of fun. Really dumb, but a hell of a lot of fun. Jupiter Ascending. Terrible. But my God, people will have played drinking games with oh, it for the end of time. I the end of time. love Jupiter. It's awful. Yeah. But I love it because it's bonkers. <laughs> but here's the thing with the Wachowskis. Like, the original Matrix, and, and who was it who did the film essay where they... Was it Patrick H. Willems? Probably. He where he looked into the Matrix and how... It might not be him, actually. Uh, but he looked into the Matrix, and the Matrix is a story about um, what's it about gender and gender identity, cloaked within the story of, of technology. And well, yeah, in, in, the, in the original script, Switch was one gender in the Matrix and another gender in the real world, yeah. and then they split the difference in the movie by just making it androgynous. Yeah, so, but it's one of those where it's been analysed since its release. To sort of show that the reason why it sort of works so well as this story of setting yourself free from a, a world you are told to be part of or made to be part of. Yeah. And to go your own path is very parallel to a lot of the things the Wachowskis have gone through over the course of the last 20 years in their personal lives. Um, and uh, hence why it hit so hard, that film, because it was made from a place of sincerity and passion behind this cold, leather-clad, sunglasses-wearing action exterior. Um so it's like that's amazing and if 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 who's this working at Lana Lana's working if Lana has something to say using the Matrix then I'm all ears go for it I'm I'm keen but it just it it's weird because it's just sort of come out of nowhere and Lily's not involved it it makes me think is this a I really want to do this well I don't want to do it well I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway kind of scenario and if so Will it lose some of that heart and that core that the original had as a result? Well, I'm looking to see as what Lily's working on at the moment, but I can't find much. Um. So, yeah, weird one. Just make a bound sequel. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I can actually. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, Sh- no, yeah. Sorry. Still imagining should, it. Should you imagine? Yes. Okay. Um, Jennifer Tilly and... Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon are in their 60s. And they look... Jennifer Tilly's in her 60s? Jennifer Tilly's in her 60s. I think, I think Gina Gershon might be as well. Jennifer Tilly's in her 60s. And they look no less gorgeous now. <laughs> so the completely uh, dumb, horny reptilian part of my brain is completely fine with there being a Bound sequel starring those two. Just saying. Um, yeah, Jennifer Tilly is... Jennifer Tilly, 58... She's 58? No, she's born in 58. Oh, right, so 61? Is that 61? Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly's 61. That does blow your mind slightly. <laughs> Gina Gershon, born in 62. So she's 58. Yeah, okay. You still would, though, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Bound sequel. Do that. Double bill. Matrix 4 and Bound 2. There we are. I'm happy. Inside. Yeah. Chub. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of stories that don't give us a chub, 
Uh, right. And so almost setting the tone, the dog just farted. So the tone is set. Thanks, dog. <laughs> She's like, you're allergic? Let me make it better. <laughs> no, I saw my antihistamines today, so you can't. Oh, no, you can't. So I'll put her um, in a sandwich bag. <laughs> put her in a sandwich bag with just a head sticking out and a little space helmet. <laughs> I wish I could go to space, Chris. Because of how much bullshit this next story is causing. Anticipating tangent. Anticipating uh, tangent. So, How's he going to do this segue? So there's an awful lot of bullshit going around on the internet today because... Hoo-wee! It has been revealed that... And, and let's make this very clear. As of today, Wednesday the 21st of August 2019. Because holy shit. past five. Because holy shit. In the last 18 hours, this story has changed. Man, right, so... It change again. <laughs> to, to quote Brian Glover in Alien 3, it is rumour control, here are the facts! <laughs> Only, these aren't facts. These are simply conjecture based on what has been being reported... Some by, of it by official sources, yeah. others by reporters this on is, behalf of official sources. It was Deadline who broke the story, but who's more the, who's the reporter? Come, uh, say? D- 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 Mike Fleming Jr. Right, that's him. Okay, put a pin in him. Well, I'll be bringing him back up shortly. Put a pin. Pray continue. Pray continue. So basically, what's happened is um, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige won't produce any further Spider-Man films because of an inability, and I'm quoting from the article here, because of an inability by Disney and Sony Pictures to reach new terms that would have given the former a co-financing stake going forward. A dispute that has taken place over the past few months at the top of Disney and Sony has essentially nixed Feige and the future involvement of Marvel from the Spider-Man universe, sources said. Uh, Is this the original deadline report? Yeah. Okay. So, basically, there are two more Spider-Man films in the works. And the studio wanted to have John Watts and Tom Holland back on board. Yeah, it's believed that they're both signed um, for at least one more. Yes. Because that was the weird, sinister overhang of the deal that was made once yes. upon a time. Uh, for those um, for those who are a bit confuzzled, um, Marvel... Comics is owned by Disney. Marvel Studios is now owned by Disney. Yes. Marvel Studios still works outside of Disney. They work on like the Fox Marvel things and this, that, and the other. But Marvel Studios, as a production house, like actively participating, are behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Disney. Um, Marvel Studios' involvement with like the X Men, for example, up to this point has been more they have some of their people working within it, like the Netflix shows. Marvel Studios work. On the Netflix shows. Yeah. They have a subdivision called Marvel Studios Television who work on the ABC shows. Um, so when we say that Disney own Marvel, what we mean is Disney own Marvel and all of its properties. But when it comes to films, the properties are divided up in some places. Or at least have been. Uh, over the years, Fox owned X-Men, Fantastic yeah. Four. Uh, they own Deadpool. They own Blade. They own Ghost Rider. Uh, Universal still to this day own the solo movie rights to the Incredible Hulk. Only the distribution rights. Only distribution rights, but that is why that's that's why there is no Hulk solo movie since Incredible Hulk. Yeah, because now now it was after Incredible Hulk that Disney started being the sole distributor 
of the MCU movies. Paramount did Iron Man, Universal did Incredible Hulk. I think they and, also... And Paramount made Iron Man 2 and Disney distributed it. I think they also have distribution rights to Namor. Uh, who do? Universal? Universal. Uh, I could be wrong about that, hence but I think they might. No, Fox, actually. Uh, Fox, because he came under the X-Men banner after a while. Once the, oh, X-Men, yeah. once the X-Men... Because Namor in the comics was revealed... It was recent years, isn't it? To be a mutant. So eventually he kind of got bundled into the X-Men rights thing. And I guess yeah. Univer- I guess Universal ran out of time. And, and it, it's, it shifted to Fox, who were the owners of the X-Men movie rights. Basically, what happened is... And, for, and Fantastic Four, which I guess Namor is most primarily yes. known for being a part of over the course of the 50-plus years. Even of, though he predates them. Yes. When Marvel um, went bankrupt in the early 2000s, they, they kept themselves afloat by selling off... Oh, it was the, the early, early 90s. Movie rights. Early 90s. In the 90s, was it? Uh, yeah, because the thing that finally saved them was the Toy Biz acquisition in the mid-90s. Because, ah. um, um, of course, no freaking films came out after the rights were sold. Uh, but that's why the Roger Corman Fantastic Four one was made. Oh, yeah. To retain that, because I think they were oh, one yeah, of the first of ones whose rights were sold. Well, yes. Uh, so yeah, Mar- Marvel the... was screwed and they needed to make money. So they, they sold, sold off the rights to a bunch of their big temple characters, which is why they only had the less well-recognised characters to make movies of when Marvel Studios became a thing, and therefore that's why we ended up with Iron Man taking the world by storm, who, you know, has always been an important character in Marvel comics mythology, but in terms of popular culture, popular culture penetration... A lot of these characters had not not lasted beyond the 60s in terms of their worldwide recognition. Until now, of course, Marvel Studios' first movie, actually, that they made independently was uh, Man-Thing. The straight to DVD film. That was their first. Did that film. Not come after Iron Man? I think that came that, after Iron uh, Man. I think it was pre. It was straight to straight to DVD though. I think it was like two thousand seven. Um, it was straight but, to DVD. Yeah. Yeah, but but they they made Iron Man with Paramount. Um, oh okay. And they made Incredible Hulk with Universal. But because Marvel Studios made both those films, that's how they got away with having the crossover with Tony Stark at the end. Yes. Uh, and Kevin Feige was basically the president of Marvel Studios by this point so he was one of those people who is very and is, is proven to be you know uh, to help to make heads but sometimes early on in the days of the mcu but as times have gone by the sort of relationship and the way they handle it seems to work better he's it, basically it, he's, the creative he's, shepherd yeah of the, of the mcu stuff a lot of people in those positions tend to just look after the money and and either give enough distance to the creatives to let them do their thing and then they come in and make a couple notes or yeah. interfere with absolutely everything and to varying degrees of success that ends up in either a terrible or a brilliant product. It looks like Kevin is very much someone who knows the material, is passionate about it, and gets what works. Yeah, for better or worse, Kevin Feige is very heavily involved with the narrative direction of the MCU as a whole. Yeah, and is absolutely one of the figureheads behind the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe experiment. Yeah. And is one of the people to be to be congratulated for making it to this day the first real go at this and the only consistent quality go well, I mean, at the shared universe there's, there's got to be something to be said for his, for his um, track record as a producer yeah oh god yeah because he's done they've done 23 MCU films and they've all been hits mm. and the films where he has had credit prior to these all of them yeah, the films that he's had credit to prior to these he has been in, a, in an associate or a lesser producer role for Marvel Studios, yeah. usually below the likes of at Sony, Avi Arad, 
uh, at Fox, it was... Oh, who's your boy? Simon Kimberg, but also before that, Tom Rothman, who's now the head CEO of Sony Uh, Pictures, who was the CEO of uh, Fox's uh, movie division for a long time. Yeah. And you can sort of look at decisions made under their jurisdiction, whilst Kevin Feige was not in a position of influence. And from the standpoint of the quality of the products that have been churned out, there is definitely a vast chasm of quality between the stuff they were in charge of (laughs) and the stuff he was in charge of. It's almost as if Kevin Feige looked at everything (laughs) that they were doing. Tom and and later on a bit, Simon, yeah. Right, well, that didn't work and it kind of sucked. I'm going to do the opposite of what they did. Yes. And then made... 23 hugely successful films in a row. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... Yeah. Like, we do not underestimate the importance or indeed the um, the, the, the absolute freaking clout that Kevin Feige's involvement brings <sighs> to this ongoing Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, some shit's gone down. Sony, as we said before, uh, is one of the companies that got the rights to movie characters and their character was Spider-Man. Sony have the out-and-out rights to Spider-Man's cinematic um, adaptations. Yep. Uh, They're on a deal where if they don't do something with Spider-Man in cinema, within five years it reverts back to Marvel. So as a result, since Marvel Studios have become mega successful, Sony have tried to make sure that that never happens because they're always like always got something spidey going. Because Sony always Sony don't have any solid franchises, and because weirdly, because this is the snakey in its tail thing, because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe being what it is and being as successful as it is, every studio has been trying to get a new franchise using that as a template, thinking that because again, uncreative people do the basic maths and decide that's it. Yeah, they go. They make film that all connect. We make that too and make money like them. You got to make good films, guys. Yeah, you got to make good freaking films to make that work. People only invest if the films are good. It's why the teaser at the end of Dracula Untold means jack shit. Remember Dark Universe. Well, I was thinking that was meant to be after, posthumously they were going to announce oh. that it was part of an ongoing series, but when it oh, flopped, so they didn't. And then later, when The Mummy came out, and they announced it was part of the Dark Universe... Oh, they had their own pre-credit! Oh, yeah. God, it was so bad! Someone on the side of that during all the press was like, oh, yeah, no, the first entry was going to be Dracula and Toll, but it just didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to. And you're like, what? What? See, huh. Iron Man was not made to be the first film in a series. It was made, and they went, do you know what? We own these characters, so... Let's, after the credits, let's do a little yeah. teaser. Like, well, during the film, we'll have a character who's sort of teasing the notion of an organisation of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's not important to the plot, per se. It's just a nice little gag, and then after the credits, we'll set up a thread for, presumably, originally, a thread for our maybe sequel. Yeah. Um, we'll tease the idea of the Avengers, but if they were just going to do Iron Man films, then, you know, they could. the Avengers could have been freaking War Machine and Rescue... And it's been an all Iron Man kind of thing. Whatever. Great. You could have made right. it work. Oh, we're doing the Hulk movie with Paramount. Let's... Do you know what? Let's put Tony Stark in that. Let's tease Let's tease that these are connected. Because fuck it. We, we're the studio that owns them all. Let's do it. And like you say, they, 
they built up interest in these lesser celebrated characters by making really entertaining movies that got people invested. Yeah. And then after a small group of those movies, they clumped them all together in one movie. And it was a really good movie. And, and so, everyone loved it. And they could have ended it there. And they had they had the they did early on, they had Iron Man 2, which did the misstep yes. that all of these imitator movies have done since. Of like this has to be about the universe we're yeah. building. Dumping yeah. a bunch of stuff to set up stuff later on in the middle of it. And all after the mis- Iron Man and 2, yeah. they never really did that again. Yeah, the only misfire really after Iron Man 2 was Thor The Dark World, and that was more just tonally it wasn't yeah. what people wanted. That, that wasn't because... It wasn't because of the thing. But then Thor, the but then Thor suffered in Age of Ultron because they were like, we're going to use him to set up Phase 3. Yeah. And that is arguably... Um, but I, I imagine we'll definitely lean on this. That is arguably the one really kind of uh, point in Age of Ultron. The rest of it's down to opinion, execution, this, that, and the other. But that's the one thing where you go, right, now this is just a big distraction. You're setting up something else. This has nothing to do with what we're currently watching. Yeah. What the hell is happening? And and it, it's one of the things that made Joss Whedon go like, I was stressing enough already, but the, the them forcing that in there made me leave. It seems that after Age of Ultron, they kind of finally went, right, we need to stop doing that. We need, to, we need to stop leaning into the investing in the future thing and we need to just plan the future but make each film its own film yeah. and, and... Seed it more organically. Yeah. Use the post-credit scenes for that kind of thing. Yeah. Don't, like, just stop the movie in the middle of it for a yeah. setup for something else later on down the line. You want to do it in a way that's organic and doesn't distract too much? Have a character from your wider universe just be a supporting character in a movie. Yeah. And that works. Scarlet Witch is going to be in the upcoming Doctor Strange sequel. Great. Hulk was in Ragnarok. Fantastic. Falcon rocks up in Ant-Man. Brilliant. That that works really, really well. Sony, meanwhile, have... (sighs) Christ. Aviarad's intrusion into the production of Spider-Man 3 by Sam Raimi forces in story elements that ultimately are the things that now posthumously to that series we can look at as, oh... Oh, that's why Spider-Man 3 sucked. Yeah. Because these were the things he was told... Sam Raimi was told he had to put in from Avi Arad and people at the top positions like that Namely, at the time. Namely, Yeah. Oh, God. Knock, knock. Let the production notes in. <laughs> um, but Avi Arad was the head of Toy Biz, the company that uh, made the merchandise for Marvel. Secret Wars was like where they really got a great relationship in the late 80s and, yeah. and all that stuff, making action figures. Toy Biz are the ones who finally brought Marvel out of bankruptcy uh, by, I think, buying them or like investing in a shitload of its shares. One of the two. In the 90s. And Avi Arad then had some creative control over Marvel to the point where he got involved with Marvel Studios. To the God point where he was... He, he was sort of like one of the leading creatives of Marvel Studios, I believe, for a while before he... He created strong He moved movie. over... Yeah, but before he... <laughs> because, because you see his name in like the credits for X-Men. Yeah. Spider-Man. Uh, Hulk, and then he moves over to to Sony full time. Pretty much, he's in the Spider Man business. Avi Arad is apparently a big fan of Spider Man. He also is a big fan of the Spider Man and sales around Spider Man that he clearly remembers from when he was selling Venom toys and lunchboxes. Yeah, he's a big 80s. fan of Venom. He freaking loves Venom. You um, see that Venom Shark action figure prototype that was doing the rounds on Twitter? <clears throat> no, it was part what? of you know, the Toy Biz. Towards the end of the Toy Biz line, there was like a like a water launching 
subline. I had I had a venom from yeah. that. It was like a brown venom with like an extra mouth on his arm, and he was covered in there scales. Was, yeah, there was a, and a, I hated it. There was a, pro- <laughs> there was a prototype. <laughs> I absolutely di- hated yeah. it. I pretend. I think I pretended it was Ravage or something, or whatever he's called. Well, a, a, Riot. I thought I pretended he was Riot, and then I was like. That's his way smaller scale than the Legends, and I got rid of it. A prototype was doing the rounds on Twitter recently of a later wave of that line. Yeah. And it was a this shark venom. Why? And it's just a venom, but he's got a big shark body. It looks like a street shark crossed with venom. Why? Because Aviarad... I'll see if I can find the picture for you. Can't oh, you? God. Oh, God. So Aviarad's obsessed with all that sort of stuff. Aviarad is the one who got the reboot in motion. Uh, Sam Raimi had got a sniff that during the produ- early production of Spider-Man 4, where his condition was, I'm going to make Spider-Man 4, but you have to back off. Because look at the reaction Spider-Man 3. Yeah. You have to back off. And they did. And then they started mandating stuff. And Spider-Man 4's production ceased in 2009. Sam Raimi finally called it a day. Um, about a few months before they would have been scheduled to shoot. Some parts had already been cast. Uh, and Hathaway it looked like had signed on to be the Black Cat slash the Vultress. Uh, John Malkovich was being zeroed in to play Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst were coming back. Um, and yes. then and then Sam walked because he was annoyed at the interference and the control from an exec level. And he said to him, and he said this in an interview on a podcast a couple of years ago because he's finally been a little bit more open about it, bless him. Um, he's been very polite about it in the years since. Yes. Uh, he said... Um, I know you're already making the reboot because one of the script writers for Spider-Man 4 had also been asked to start drafting a, a reboot script as well. Yeah, it's... Oh, that's terrible. Apparently it was a Hasbro one, though. No. Oh, that's terrible. Unless the head's removable, in which case it's a decent Venom body. But it, it even showed up in a promotional comic at the time. Oh, Christ. That's how far along it was. Oh, God. But yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, that's a nice sculpt. Um... So yeah, oh dear. So uh, <laughs> he he knew that they were basically just looking to make a Spider-Man movie, and they didn't care what Spider-Man movie. They were already putting a reboot into practice. Amazing Spider-Man comes out. It's fine. Uh, creatively, it, it's got a really weird angle, and it doesn't quite work. Mark Webb does a decent job directing the human part of the story. Good cast as well. Yeah, but again, studio mandate was it's got to be about his parents and their secret life. It's got to be about this stuff. Yeah, that's what I feel about that. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Sony were trying to get Avengers Tower into the back of a VFX shot of of New York in Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. Uh, similarly, uh, they were doing a deal. Apparently, they were talking with Marvel Studios and Disney, who were making the Avengers, to put Oscorp in the back of a shot in Avengers yeah. somewhere. And the reason it didn't happen was simply because Sony left it way too late to deliver stuff. I think it might have been the other way around they were going to put Avengers Tower in the background. No, no, it was, it was both. But it was, oh, okay. it was Sony were way too late delivering when they needed to do it. And Marvel just went, look, we're going to... Sorry, we're not going to do it. Like, this is getting down. I, you know, the more so we the, talk there about was Sony obvi- pictures, the more I think the people in charge are a bit of fucking incompetent. Oh, that's not even half of it. So, oh God. So, there's all, this thing of Marvel are like, we're going to do all of our stuff over here. And we're never going to get the Fox characters. We're never going to get the Sony characters. Mm. But as long as we don't clash, we will make a visual nod to your Spider-Man that implies that it's part of this universe, but it's not like dictated by it and stuff. It's just a little Easter egg. Cool. Great. That's kind of sweet. I remember at the time I was like, all right, okay, that's fine. We're never going to get Spidey in the MCU, but you know, if they can pretend that he's maybe in it, great. I'm all for it. Oh dear. 
Um, so they screw that up. Then they make Amazing Spider-Man two. Around this time, the Sony email e- the Sony email hack happens sometime after. Yeah, which we which we sort of dug through. I think we did once upon a time. Yeah, yeah we talked about Avi Rad and Ghostbusters twenty sixteen and stuff. Because this is when we learned many weird things. One, so many weird things. Amy Pascal is a, was a key figure at Sony. It still is, but now runs Pascal Pictures one of the uh, development teams and development studios at Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not, by what has been presented publicly and what we've learned from the emails, she's not a very creative individual. She's got some good um, trajectories based on representation for their blockbusters. Yeah. But she has terrible execution and awful negotiating skills with how to get these things across. <laughs> She randomly emailed Paul Feig in like 2014 and went, someone said you got a take on Ghostbusters, what is it? And she writes all of her emails in all caps, by the way. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Which, you know, it's not like a sign of someone being an idiot, but it is a sign of someone like not sort of being aware of the I don't know how the internet works. Of a business email. Maybe don't be just screaming in all caps. Um, and Paul Feig was like, oh, well, I sort of had an idea. And then he had to kind of come up with one. He just sort of shot out some ideas into an email. And she went, yeah, you're making it. Cop to squat. <coughs> they did. They ditched two prior versions of it of a Ghostbusters film that were in development then and there. Fantastic, including pushing Ivan Reitman out of the discussions. Oh, but, but the Sony email hack revealed that they were purposely trying to shun him, and as a result, that it may be or may or may not be the reason why he was made the head of Ghost Core, the company that will basically make Ghostbusters related things with Sony. Because it's like the dude gave you the original two movies, show him some fucking respect. And their way of apologizing for being shamed as treating him like a piece of shit was basically, here's a lot of money, will you make Ghostbusters things for us? And he was like, yeah, sure. And it seems to have worked out in his favor, maybe, because like the stuff he didn't want to make doesn't seem to be coming out anymore. And the animated series he wants to make apparently is still in development. And his equally, you know, talented separate from his dad but still has to be mentioned, his son Jason Reitman is now making a new Ghostbusters movie set in the original storyline. Which I am... Intrigued? Yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm not excited, but I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm, I'm less excited <coughs> Paul because Feed. of the way it's presented. Yeah. Been like a, this is where, this is for the fans, because the last one yeah, no, I hate wasn't. That. I hate that, because like, I, I don't like Ghostbusters 2016 overall. I had an okay time at the cinema. I see the positives. Uh, on, refle- on reflection, I see the flaws even brighter than before. It's it's fine, but it's but got problems. don't don't shit on it to champion your new one. You don't have to put yeah. something down to raise something up. But still, um, you know, I just Amy Pascal is not a uh, she's not a creative decision maker, but she's given all the creative decisions to make. Um, yeah, she wanted to create a shitload of Spider-Man spin-offs from Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, oh God, Sinister Six, which had been in and out of the works for years. Um, who's the guy? Drew Thingy, showrunner of Daredevil. Drew series Goddard. One. Drew Goddard was uh, in the running. He'd written a Sinister Six movie for them. Drew Goddard is a great screenwriter, so that was one of those things where it was like. This movie shouldn't exist the way they want it to, just shitting out six of Spidey's greatest villains in one go. But Drew's writing it, so it could be interesting. Um, They wanted to do an Amazing Spider-Man 3. They wanted to do Black Cat and Silver Sable movie. Avi Arad wanted a Venom series. Venom movie and then a Venom and Carnage movie. That'll never happen, we thought. 
Um, <laughs> they wanted to do a... Uh, th- more recently, it's revealed they wanted to do a Night Thrasher movie. Uh, it's it's just... It's weird. I, it's weird. They basically Sony have access to all of Spider-Man's characters I, and associated characters. Just... And they want to make films of that. Because fucking Night Thrasher, though! They, because they wanted... A cinematic universe. I bet they did. Marvel come along and go, hey, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was critically and financially very ill-received. As we've commented on. Literally. We've got an idea. And that idea is, let us make your Spider-Man films for you in exchange for us getting to use him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they get like 5% of the... initial gross yeah uh, Disney from... and Marvel Studios get 5% of the in- yeah that's specifically the initial not the not the back end just the initial gross yeah. so we're talking like first couple of opening weekends yeah. basically yeah, yeah. so that's still hundreds of millions of dollars overall yeah 5 million made a lot of money but it's the it's second absolute highest... peanuts compared to the the money that Sony would make Far From Home is Sony Pictures Highest internationally grossing film of all time. Yeah, and Marvel are only seeing a tiny portion of that, but they're making that film for them. Sony are distributing it and involved in some of the production. Yeah, um, and that was their proposal. A contract was reached: five films, two Spider-Man solo movies, and three uh, crossovers into the main MCU. The deal kicked off with Tom Holland appearing in Captain America Civil War, the debut of the MCU Spider-Man, a soft reboot of the character that doesn't require you to know anything about this version because it's fresh off out of the box, Mm -hmm. but assumes you as a member of the general public is aware of the basics of Spider-Man. Because he had had two reboots within a decade. Yeah, within within 10 years you can watch two live-action origin films for Spider-Man. Also, just as a side note, the top 10 highest grossing Sony Pictures movies worldwide. Uh, Skyfall in there? One, two, three, oh. four, five. Five of them are Spider-Man films. Six if you include Venom. Homecoming and Far From Home are both in there. Jeez, Spider-Man 2 and Amazing Spider-Man in no, there? the Raimi trilogy. Oh, good. Okay. Amazing, Amazing and Amazing 2 are 12 and 13. Fair enough. Um, so, so there you go. What's the top one? Far from home. Far from home. Right. So this has worked out well for both studios. Yeah. Um, Spidey then appeared in Spider-Man: Homecoming, part of the MCU, a Sony Pictures distributed movie. Hence all the random garish tie-ins and merchandising shit that was going on because mm-hmm. they were making all the bank off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Tom Holland was popping up in Audi commercials as Peter Parker and stuff. It's just like this is weird. Um, for the same reason as the thing having a thing burger at Wendy's during the Fantastic shit and all that. I love like, it. So I love weird. it so much. Um, little things showing that Sony just sort of were like, no, no, we've got to make our stamp on this. And it might seem like we're making Sony's out. Sony about to be the only villains here, but hear us out. Oh, no. Everyone into why Disney are villains, don't ev- you worry. Everyone's a villain. It seems, though, more that the Sony side of it is a lot of people with power making incompetent decisions more than anything. But anyway, like, even if you look over there, I've got all the MCU movies on the shelf. They all have roughly the same spine design. Except Spider-Man Homecoming, which is garishly different. Little things like that, where you sort of see that the company's outlook is, no, 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 we, we know what's best. We're going to do that. You've made the film now. Let us do what we want to do with the market. Let us do what we want to do with the look of it all. The posters. Those fucking posters for both of them. Um, you got <clears throat> mine. Spidey, second, a third appearance. Avengers Infinity War. 
Great supporting character. Notice on all the merchandise, never referred to as Spider-Man. Iron Spider on all of them, even in the copyright. So I don't think Sony saw any back end for Iron Spider merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. That. It hit me the other day. I was just like, oh, yeah. Because I've got the uh, the Bandai um, SH figure arts Iron Spider. Yes. Nowhere on the box or in any of the packaging or any of the copyrights that say the word Spider-Man. It's really strange when you think about it. That is um, it'll be a, It'll be a merch thing. It'll be a merchandising thing. Think about how much more merchandise comes out for the two Spider-Man solo movies compared to the Avengers stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff the Avengers stuff, but there's noticeably more for the solo Spidey stuff. Which is, and there isn't really much for the solo Marvel stuff. Yeah, like not as much. And, and if it is, it's usually after the fact. Like there are Avengers action figure lines. Oh, Captain Marvel, there was a lot for Captain line. Marvel. But there aren't any action figure lines for the um, for the individual Marvel movies. Only for Avengers. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, true, true. Marvel Legends always dip in and out, but it's never like an official... Marvel Legends is its own thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Um, that was my last like toy treat for myself all year. I pre-ordered the set that's coming out in November. Oh, what and a treat it was! I'm not allowed to buy any of the toys now, because sometime randomly in November I'm going to get a package with six Marvel Legends and a Builder figure Lebowski Thor in it. No more toys <laughs> for you. No more toys anymore. So, that's third appearance... It's fourth appearance as Avengers Endgame, the highest grossing freaking movie of all time. Which is a great advert for your individual movie, as it was, because Far From Home comes out and is Sony's biggest, highest international gross ever. The contract with Disney and Marvel as a tie-in is done. One would think that the next move would be to come up with a contract to continue that relationship. Which apparently has been going on for a while, which may be why we didn't see anything at SDCC Spider-Man-wise. However, however, in the meantime, in Sony the meantime. went ahead with their solo spin-off movies. Spin-off only in terms of the property sense, because they're not actually spinning out of anything that pre-exists outside of their own license. Spinning out of control, am I right? Woo! I'm not high-fiving you because oh. I just picked my nose. And I might have some on my finger. One can only hope. <gasps> Venom. Knock, knock. Um, let the devil in if you want the full details on what we think of venom we have i can't believe i'm about to say this three previous venom heavy episodes go and seek them out um please <laughs> oh god please do one about venom one about avi arad and one about the actual movie um and they're all worth a listen they're very funny but uh, if i do this on myself venom comes out regardless of what you think of the film and we think it's shit we do um it made a lot of money. Avi Arad's wet dream came true because it made like apparently $800,000. There were enough people who love that character or at least remember that character that went, all right, I'm going to go see it in the first two weekends. Let's do this. Um, Venom's fan base, the ones who genuinely straight up love it and think it's amazing, not people who love it in that semi-ironic kind of way. Yeah. Um, are very akin to a lot of the early DCEU fandom. The ones who are very pro Zack Snyder and weirdly aggressive with everybody online. God, Chris, if only you actually read DC comic books. <sighs> Do you remember that time I got into an argument about the Justice League trailer and I had to post a short video of me just showing all my DC books? Do you know what I mean? Just to make a point of being like, I too like these things. Just because I don't like the trailer for various reasons and think the movie might not be good doesn't mean I don't like them. Shut the fuck up. But do you know what I mean? It's that old, that old aggressive, like, fandom thing which we've talked about last week, or here on the podcast. Yeah. 
Um, Toxic, one might say. Oh, God. But because of that, like, Venom has fans like that, which is really weird. People who are, people who made a point of being like, fuck the Marvel stuff, like, Venom, this is what these movies should be. That doesn't surprise me at all, because I think Venom has a lot of the same fans who really like The Punisher. And again, char- think about that. characters you can tell amazing stories with who do have a place, but make quality shit with them. Yeah. Mm, There's well. been three Punisher movies. All are entertaining in their own way. But the best iteration of The Punisher by far was... I've not seen season two, but was his appearance in Daredevil and the first season of his Netflix show. Because they got it and they didn't celebrate or idolize, idolize Frank Castle. So... There's a place for these things. Venom, again, there's a place for Venom, but Venom is always more interesting as a Dark Mirror to Spider-Man. However, the film a made... A Black Mirror, one might say. Ah! All blue. Depending on the artist. Red and blue. Venom made in money. The, uh, in the animated series. Morbius has filmed. Morbius is... They've shot Morbius. That's Venom... Be like shooting all yellow. Venom 2 is not only greenlit, but they have a director and it's a considerable step up in terms of the, oh, wait, what? factor of the project. Andy Serkis is directing it. So, Sony have become emboldened. Add to that their Oscar victory with the the completely Sony-driven Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, when I say completely Sony-driven, I don't necessarily mean the same people making the decisions for the live-action stuff. They all have a hand in it. No, I mean... But this was a like... Lord and Miller story with the good folks at Sony Pictures Animation. It's Sony... Sony Animation is its own beast, responsible for wonderful things like Into the Spider-Verse and terrible things like the Emoji Movie. It's Sony-driven like that bit in Amazing Spider-Man, the animated series, where uh, Venom's driving the truck. What? <laughs> Wait, what? Venom driving a truck. In in Spider-Man the Animated Series? Yeah. What? Why? Do you stay... Why Venom driving a truck? Carry on talking. I'll find the gift. Hey, do you remember how uh, in the Animated Series, Carnage was created because Dormammu wanted an agent of chaos on Earth, so Baron Mordo created a symbiote like Venom and gave it to Cletus Casti, who is a quote-unquote dangerous criminal, and that was how Carnage was created in the Animated Series. Instead of just, oh, the Venom symbiote gave birth and there's a new symbiote. Oh my god. Oh my god, Matt's showing me footage of Venom driving a truck. Why is Venom driving a truck? Why? This show is awful. Just saying. <laughs> He's beeping the horn! That. <clears throat> oh that's god. Sony driven. Oh good lord. That's so weird. Um, but, but given that boost of confidence from Venom's finance... And from Spider-Verse, which is arguably, again, an amazing amazing movie and quite possibly the best Spider-Man movie. Um, Sony have obviously got quite bold. They don't feel necessarily like they need the Marvel tie-in now. Especially because the groundwork has been done. <laughs> Matt's just put a Venom beeping the horn of a truck gif in front of me. I'll stay in there for the rest of the show. Oh, good lord. <laughs> you look so happy. Um... So they're emboldened. They Sony don't. Driven. They don't need. God. They don't need the MCU per se. Nah. But let's face it: the story told with this version of the character, the cliffhanger that Far From Home left us with, yeah. The way this character is intrinsically tied into the narratives of some MCU characters now, and some of them are associated with Spider-Man as part of his ongoing story now. 
it sucks to think that that might just end. Now, Sony can obviously continue to make a Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland as Spider-Man with John Watts directing. Uh, they could obviously get Jacob Batalons and Dyer, etc. back to be in it. They just won't be allowed to mention any MCU things, and vice versa. The MCU will no longer be allowed to mention Spider-Man. No Mr. Stark. No yeah. Happy. Now, the thing with that is, again, I, I get the complaints of all Spider-Man fans who think that Spider-Man as a film franchise has just become Iron Man Jr., I get that. I, I understand your complaints, but as we've talked about on previous episodes, including our Far From Home episode, we had two series of the classic formula. I don't mind this one diverting from it and doing something different. And two series of the classic formula that passed a certain point just didn't work. Yeah. Because people <clears throat> kept trying to put their own spin on it. Mm. So they just put another spin on it, and this one works. So how is that different, really? I want Spider-Man to be like he's in the comics. That's great. That's, I'm sorry these ones don't work out for you. You can go back and watch and read previous iterations that do that, though. I want Spider-Man to be like he is in the comics. Well, what's wrong with that sentence? We don't like the Ultimate Spider-Man animated series so much, but the kids who watch that series probably absolutely freaking love the MCU Spidey because it's kind of like that version. Also, there's an episode with Frog Thor, so what do you want? Yeah, there you go, son of, son of a bitch. Um, Throg. What do you want from me? Wait, Frog Thor or Throg? Because I only learned last week that they're two separate characters. You know what? I don't remember. I don't remember if it's a frog who is Thor. Because one is, yeah, one is Thor, Thor turned, turned into, a into a frog. I can't remember which one, one it is. One is Thor turned into a frog and the other one is a frog who is Thor who was a man but was turned into a frog and now has the powers of Thor. I think, it, <laughs> I think it's Thor who's been turned into a frog. Oh, good lord. Not a frog who is Thor. Oh, god. Point is, like, I get that people could be excited for him returning to the status quo but that's... What's to say that's going to even happen? Again, Sony are building a Spider-Man... T- tangentially Spider-Man-esque universe using Spider-Man properties that have nothing to do with Spider-Man, the cinematic version currently existing. That's so a they- very snappy name for a creative. I know. But they could fold that Spidey... The way, they- the way we'll refer to it is how she it refer to other places. No, other places refer to it as the Venomverse. So let's use that as a shorthand. They could fold Spidey Ugh. into the Venomverse. Wait, um, are we thinking that, but that Morbius means- is going to have a Venom post-credits? Or a Venom adjacent. I think Morbius, based on how this deal goes... Again, we're recording this on Wednesday the 21st. It's probably changed since now. I wouldn't be surprised if Uh, Morbius had a post credit scene with Spidey in it. Nah. Joking on my Instagram story and saying, Fuck it, bring in Cardiac. (laughs) Let's just do every shit spin-off character. Let's do a Judas Traveller movie. I've been thinking Um, about Superior Spider-Man recently for various reasons, and I could do for a Cardiac movie. (laughs) Oh, God. Scryer, anyone? Um, So, I just... Christ. So, the the, the blow-up on Twitter was Spidey is out of the MCU slash Spidey might be out of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, Tom Holland, John Watts et al. stuck in a tug of war. Because they might have all signed on knowing what the deal was and wanting to tell that story. And now with this additional movie that they have in their contract that was outside of the main contract, Sony are essentially holding them hostage. Unless they they buy out of the contract, they would have to go along with whatever is next. As Disney and its character, uh, one of its characters, are so fond of saying, I have altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Yeah, yes. Yes. I too See, I do love Goofy. Here's the th- I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Where's my fucking money? <laughs> um I'm getting my choking hand ready. Uh so Follow, go and look for Goofy Wants His Money on uh, YouTube, you won't regret it. Thanks, Brock Baker. So um 
Here's the thing, right? <laughs> My mother's shucking money. Here's the thing. Yes. I appreciate that you've just oh. taken us on a deep dive about the artistic merits of, yes. of Spider-Man and yes. the MCU. None of it fucking matters. At the end of the day, no, well... None of it matters. Not to the players who are in charge of it. Not to anyone who's... Not to anyone who is at the level of power where they are negotiating this deal. Because what this is about is money. Yeah. And Sony see it... Disney want more. Mm. Sony want more. Sony see it as they can stick with Disney and make money. Or they can do it completely themselves... Maybe make a crappy product, maybe make a good product, but, but still make money. money that they would owe more money. Now, at first the internet reacted with Sony, how could you do this? How dare you do this? And I completely understand why that's a gut reaction because Sony have great precedence at making terrible fucking decisions. Yeah. Venom, for example. Yeah. Um, like, but again, money. So they don't think it's a terrible decision because it made money. Um, Inexplicably. Yeah, I know, right? I, says, I don't believe it. Says people who says two people who went to see it in the cinema with three people who'd already seen it and wanted to see it again. Yeah. Just to see our reactions. Yeah. That's yeah. why it made money. Um, so, like, it, it, it's understandable why people could leap to that conclusion. Amy Pascal is a terrible decision maker. Tom Rothman, who is currently the head of uh, Sony Pictures... Uh, who was previously the head of Fox. Crawling when the he... dickhead, am I right? Hey! Hey, I will high five you. Hey. That's a bogey. I have no idea if, if, if Tom Rothman's a dickhead. Well, he was the guy in charge at Fox who turned down the Deadpool pitch. Oh! Which then got leaked. Which then they went, oh, people like it. Okay, we'll make it. And it's understanding that he turned it down because he just didn't get it. <laughs> which, is a, which is a common is theme. so common. In like, movies and television, of people at the top just not quite getting it, so they pass. And it's like, hang on, take a chance, you twat. How business. many? How many of the oh. people at the top have the same taste as your average Joe on the street? Not many at all. Because they're fucking billionaires, billionaires, rich, middle-aged to old, white, usually dudes. Not always, not always white. To be fair, very they rarely don't... have ever been involved in the creative process yeah. of making movies. They've they only ever been involved in the finance and the business side, the stocks. That sort just... of stuff. But they make the decisions because it's their company. If they aren't seen to be making the decisions, then they shouldn't be in charge, right? So I've got to make decisions. Which like Amy Pascal, how... before Amy Pascal was... Amy Pascal was bumped down from her position because of the financial and critical failure of Ghostbusters 2016. Um, but at the same time, she had that much pull and staying power that they formed Pascal Pictures as part of Sony Pictures and created a film division for her to work in, in charge of. Because... In Hollywood and in television, thick people fail upwards <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Like, oh, she got fired from that position. She loses some of her annual salary, but not a lot, and gets to be made the head of a brand new division. It it really sucks as a Tom creative. Rothman screws Fox over that much that Fox chuck him, and Sony snatch him up. Why? It really sucks as, as a creative <laughs> to see... The pockets of people lined with the fruits of other people's labour. Yeah. But that's capitalism. That's capitalism. That's how capitalism works. Yeah. It's It's the world we live in, baby. There's a dimension somewhere where everybody's getting on and everybody's having a lovely time and all the people involved in every stage of stuff are creative. um, And and they love each other. But we don't get that universe, unfortunately. We don't get it. Um, All right, here's the thing, right? So... So, so you can see why this... people leapt on Sony with that and, and immediately went to think. I think my first tweet about it was just, the exec that made this decision, fuck you. This is all dick swinging, though. Yes. Like, this, I think 
probably the main reason why this has gone public is well, because... it's because of that deadline story. And here's an interesting little tidbit oh, for you. Well, yeah. What's his What was his name? Thinky Freeman. I can't remember. Thinky Freeman Junior. The guy. The guy we put pin in earlier. I've still got the story up. It's, I've got my Venom gif though. Yeah, uh, Mike, Mike Fleming, Fleming Jr. Jr. Mike is a favourite of Sony Pictures when it comes to breaking stories. Really? Deadline, and, Deadline and publications he has previously worked for have always been the ones to break stories related to Sony's business uh, and business achievements and business decisions. Really? The reason we know this is due to... And uh, the best place uh, to the see... The Bible tells you so. The best place to... to <laughs> the best place... Yeah. And I believe the best place... To see a, di- a full sort of dissection of this is go to the Midnight's Edge YouTube channel. Midnight's Edge, you sometimes do some pretty quality stuff. Rega- oh, yeah. Regardless of their opinion pieces, their research is always really well done. Midnight's Edge is... Odd. Mixed. Yeah. In its uh, in its quality of journalism. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. The guy who's got the, the really thick accent and is like a really good narrator for their pieces. Yeah. He always tends to be upfront with what his opinion is and then the story is always the facts and then he gives a little point of view of his at the end. Yeah. The other guys are a little bit more kind of like, this is our sarcastic comment about the Star Wars franchise. But like, whereas his is a lot more measured. Either way, <laughs> either way, they always do research and they always provide sources and they... they I think that's the easiest way to sort of give you gentle listener a history of this without me rambling on for ages. But go and watch their video about the Spider-Man thing from this week because um, I'd read about this prior and then they brought it up and I was like, oh God, yeah. Uh, Mike Fleming Jr. is beloved by a lot of Sony execs because of his positive spin on their stuff. This is not a hugely positively spun story, it it, must be said. Well, that's the thing. The story doesn't paint Sony in a bad light, but it gets the story it paints them all in a bit of a weird, ambiguous place, but it got the story out there before it got out another way. Yeah. Mike Fleming is somebody who Sony have given stories in the past according to the hack. So when he says, sources say, it's possible he's the source is someone at Sony has passed this to him so that he breaks the story. <clears throat> I think... Which sounds like damage control. Um... And like you say, though, it doesn't paint Sony to be the heroes, but it certainly muddies the water and confuses everyone. The original story does not say Spider-Man is leaving the MCU. It says negotiations are stalled and it's due to the relationship with Disney and Kevin Feige's position on the ongoing projects. Yeah. The internet interpreted that as Spidey's leaving the MCU. That is one possibility of this, yes. Sony put out a statement since because we we saw this last night. And we were like, "Oh God, we're gonna have to talk about this today." Well, I got I got the I I've got the the, the three tweet thread of theirs. Yeah, which is weird um, for a bit because it's Sony's it's it's just the Sony Twitter account, isn't it? Uh, Sony Pictures. Sony Pictures Twitter account. So again, at Sony Pictures, all they got to do is put out marketing for their movies. For them to do this, it seems like just them making the quickest option available to put out some damage control. Uh, based on the reaction. What did they say, Mathieu? Much of today's news about Spider-Man has mischaracterised recent discussions about Kevin Feige's involvement in the franchise. (laughs) We are disappointed, but respect his new decision not to have him continue as a lead producer of our next live-action Spider-Man film. We hope this might change in the future, but understand that the many new responsibilities that Disney has given him, including all their newly added Marvel properties, 
do not allow time for him to work on IP they do not own. Kevin is terrific and we are grateful for his help and guidance and appreciate the path he has helped put us on, which we will continue. How did they spell that noise at the end? It's a secret alphabet. <gasps> the Scralphabet. Um, um, yeah, so this is odd, because that's them basically saying, hey, hey, public, chill. Chill. We didn't take our toys away. Chill. We and the we, your mum and dad, Disney and Sony, have decided that we're not going to let you play out with Kevin Feige anymore. And Well, well we mum didn't make that decision. Dad made that decision. And we were sad about that decision. It's like, why would Sony be sad about not working with Kevin Feige anymore? And why would Disney make that call? That statement felt more suspect to me than anything else. Now, stuff's come to light since that Disney may have scuppered the negotiation, that it was going semi-smoothly. But Disney, on behalf of Marvel Studios, keep in mind, Disney doing stuff on Marvel Studios' behalf led to things like the firing of James Gunn. Yeah. Um, which, which Marvel Studios did not want to happen. Um... Disney, on Marvel Studios' behalf, have apparently negotiated a bigger cut of the Spider-Man profit well, with Sony. The number that we've been seeing floating about... There's been, well, there's been, there's been two. There's been two, but the, go on. The yeah. most common one is that Disney are offering a co-financing deal. Yeah. Whereupon they will split the financing of, the, of future films 50-50 with Sony and then take a clean 50-50 profit share. Yeah. Currently, uh, Disney finance the film's... Entirely, no. Sony finance. Sony finance entirely, um, but they get the proceeds. Disney make the films. Merchandising. Yeah. Marvel Studios makes the films, and Marvel gets a five percent cut of everything. Which, like we said before, is still a lot of money, but it's peanuts compared to the overall peanuts. The other story doing the rounds is that they uh, want to amend their cut of the films. Fifty, fifty, or not? Not sure in this one. Yeah. But the same statement that made that claim said that the main reason for the fallout is because Disney and Kevin Feige want an involvement with the Spider-Man Venomverse projects. Because Sony, as we saw from around the time of uh, Homecoming out, that really awkward interview, which is on YouTube, and I encourage everyone to watch it because it's slimy and weird, where Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal were doing some junket press for Homecoming's release. In this weird sort of, that's weird, execs don't normally do like junkets, but it, it was obviously meant to be a sign of, hey, look at us two studios working together to make a Spider-Man movie, this is really cool. And Feige's always been quite press-facing <clears> as well. Yeah, not so much not so much like the, doing the junkets with the actors, but definitely being very open to talking in interviews yeah, yeah. and stuff. But you, in this interview, the interviewer asks Amy Pascal whether Venom, which had been announced at that point, and was obviously in early production, was going to be part of the MCU. And Amy Pascal gives the most vague answer ever with a suggestion that maybe we'll see whilst Kevin Feige sat next to us stays completely like mouth shut but every expression on his face gives you everything you 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 can see what he's his thinking. eyebrows almost come off his face he's just like he's clearly thinking, like right a we've not discussed this b don't you fucking dare make a fake announcement right now in front of this interviewer and c just say, well, you know, who knows? Things are up in the air. Maybe we need to talk in the future. Just say that and move on. But no, she's there 
trying to test the water with an interviewer, forgetting that the guy that can make that decision is sat right next to her and obviously has not been approached with this at all by her at any point. Yeah. It's really awkward. And again, doubles down on the public persona that Amy Pascal has put out for herself through the email hacks, the way she's presented herself and other stuff as someone who's not particularly competent decision maker. Um, Which kind of sucks because you'd yeah. hope that, you know, one of the few... Women in position, one, in yeah, a one, position one of the of authority few prominent in the and named and known female members of the movie industry, you'd kind of hope would be a figurehead and under under positive representation. She's just a bit she's of a knob. bit of a knob, yeah. And it's like, God oh, damn it, Amy. Um, well, hey, we've got Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. Yeah. Well, mm, well, Kathleen is definitely a brilliant business. She's certainly person. competent. She's a brilliant business person. She's very competent, and she fights for genuinely fucking good stuff. Yeah, I um, think that's the thing that Disney right. But, but Disney are a horrible there's a whole monopolistic se- There's a whole separate thing. discussion about what's but, happened to the Star Wars franchise. But, yeah. but <laughs> the main thing that Disney... The reason why Disney have become such a ridiculous monopolistic monster is because that they understand and have understood for decades that if you try and make consistently quality products, people will come back for more. Even Michael Eisner. You can Eisner. make money one-off on a guff film. Even Michael but eventually, Eisner, yeah, who, who was that yeah. just completely money-minded when he became the CEO of Disney, in his initial statement said basically like, our obligation is not to make art, it is to make money. If the best way for us to make money is to make art of a quality that brings the customers back, then that is how we will make our money. That is how Disney has so got to even, the position it is now. Even there, he was like, I don't give a shit about the creative stuff that's fulfilling and the audiences enjoy. I just want to make money. But I know that that's what makes us money, so yeah. let's do it. Now, he was terrible at that, and every time he put his fingers into the pies, yeah. he soured the fucking pies. But, look at what... but every time he left them be, like the Disney Renaissance movies were largely their own beasts that he was just shepherding, they created quality products. But look at what um, And Paramount Disney to this did. day get that. Who's the current head? Bob Iger. Uh, Robert Iger, yeah. Robert Iger, he gets it. He gets that completely. But look, look at what Paramount did with Transformers, where they just they drove the franchise into the ground. Yeah, with consistently more and more terrible. Like people kept saying the movies are bad, the movies are bad, and they kept getting worse. Mm. And they just kept making more and more money until the last night, which did not do well mm. comparatively. Made a lot of money, but made a, lot it was of money, a severe but, drop off. Yeah. Massive from the money they made prior. To the point where they did make an actually really good one in Bumblebee and no one gave a fuck. Yeah. So now we might not get any more even though Bumblebee was an incredible course correction. Like, it's, it's very rare you see a film that deep into a franchise improve in quality so dramatically. Like, yeah. The Last Night and Bumblebee are just completely different Oceans animals apart. in the quality of film they are. But the damage has already been done because you kept shoveling out substandard product. If you make good stuff, mm. people will come back for it. That's why Disney is successful. That's why they can buy all their competition. That's why they can try and fuck over theatres with unrealistic um, pricing and um, profit cut demands for their big tentpole pictures. I'll be very interested to see what the Rise of Skywalker's um, screening... Uh, conditions are yeah because they upped them for the last Jedi and people were not happy and rightly so 
I'm intrigued to see the growth of Rise of Skywalker, actually. I, I feel like there is... Again, we could do a whole episode on this, we probably will later in the year. I feel like there's almost a lack of hype for that movie compared to the previous two entries. Once the full trailer drops, we'll be on... Hype we'll be City, bitch. Hype, hype City, bitch. But that's something that uh, I feel Kevin Feige definitely understands too, which is why this second rumoured deal, the one of him trying to get some control over the Venomverse movies, mm. I, is quite believable as well. Now, he obviously cannot work on all of those films as an, as an active executive producer. And apparently that's also part of, of what decision is that being made. That's what Sony's saying, yeah. Kevin Feige cannot be across everything. Except he has been up to this point. And the slate of movies and everything that's been announced isn't necessarily even more so than the previous ten years. But... Disney Plus shows. Yes. Which are MCU... Canon. Yes. X-Men. Yes. Fantastic Four. Yes. And as part of X-Men Deadpool. Yeah. That we haven't seen anything for yet. But, <laughs> um, there's also the weird suspect element here. Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige don't necessarily have the best relationship. Avi Arad and Kevin Feige as we've discussed in our Avi Arad episode, go seek out our second Venom episode, do not have a good working relationship. Kevin Feige was Avi Arad's protege, essentially, throughout the early 2000s. He learnt everything he knew by watching Avi Arad fuck up. And going, I'll do the opposite. Yeah. Kevin used, uh, sort of overtakes Avi Arad as, as the head of Marvel Studios outright, makes Iron Man, starts this ball rolling... Learns from his mistakes, as we see over the years, like Age of Ultron and Ant-Man are the last kind of two movies under that banner of, oh, we've we fucked up in some ways whilst making this. And those mistakes were learnt from after that, like either through making it clear what they want from the filmmakers they work with. So, mm-hmm. you know, like we're telling the story, we just need you to tell this chapter or, you know, like however they've approached it, there is definitely... Like I feel from start of phase three, Civil War to the current one, there is a level of quality that's completely consistent. Yeah. Um, the last sort of misstep they made was the Dark World. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, but, but um, the production on Age of Ultron and Ant-Man was sort of the, the two where they, they really fucked up in some way. Like, yeah. Ant-Man was yeah, yeah. one beast, Edgar Wright's movie, Edgar Wright's baby for years. Then they go, we own him now, so we want to make it part of the MCU. And then Edgar's like, you're not letting me make the movie I want to make. And they fuck up. Peyton Reed makes it. It's pretty damn great. But it, it's also still that, there's that weird, there was that weird bittersweet thing when Ant-Man came out of like, I wonder what could have been. Mm. Um, even though some elements of that original movie story are in there, because the story is credited to... Um, Oh my god, I just said his name. What was his name, the director of Ant-Man? Edgar Wright. Uh, Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. Uh, the story's credited to Peyton Reed, Paul Rudd, Edgar Wright, and Joe Cornish. Because Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish wrote the screenplay for the Ant-Man movie they were making. Yes. Um, Scornballs. Bless him. Um, Kid Who Will Be King's out on DVD. I need to pick it up. Uh, so, because uh, I love to tap the block, so I want to watch that one. Adam Buxton actually cameos in this one, apparently. Here's a cameo in Kid Who Will Be King. So, so Buc- Count Buckles is in there. Um, but you know that was a fuck up and, and, and the interfering with Joss Whedon over the course of Age of Ultron resulted in out of the four Avengers movies the most eh, of the four movies 
Age of Ultron's got some great stuff in it, but it also is kind of a uh, a bit of a damp squib compared to its predecessor, and n- has nowhere near the sort of like that's why I think Civil War Captain America three was sort of a course correction for Age of Ultron almost. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, like, the, the mistakes were made, but they seem to learn from them. It seems odd that Sony would back out of the deal or delay it because Kevin can't work with them. It seems more likely that Sony and the people who have animosity toward Kevin, who were involved in the Spider-Man franchise, it seems more likely that they would go, we'll do it, but not with him. Let us be in charge. Now, that's pure speculation, but based on track record and history... I do not blame the internet for leaping down Sony's throats first and foremost. Now, could Disney have made a very unreasonable thing, uh, unreasonable offer? Absolutely. But they know how the sausage is made because they are the ones making it. I, I feel it's less likely Disney would make the bad decision here. You'd think. You'd think. They seem more business savvy. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, and I don't see why they'd want to ruin a good thing. Like, the biggest acquisitions of Disney in the last couple of years have been Marvel and Star Wars, and Marvel is the one that is head and shoulders working better. And Fox. Which is oh, well, we've yet, well, yet to see, yeah. Well, but, they've just basically cancelled everything Fox is working on at the moment. Yeah. So, that's... That, that feels very much like a, oh, yeah, nice competition you got there. Shame if anything were to happen to it. I just, feel, I just feel, I just feel bad for John Watson, Tom Holland in particular. Yeah, because I think they signed on with an idea of what story they wanted to tell and 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 what stories they were going to take part in and what Kevin wanted to do in the trajectory. And now they are legally, unless they buy out their contracts, and it will be a fucking expensive buyout. Yeah, and I've got a feeling Tom, the studio system existed in the twenties and thirties, and it was where a star was attached to a studio exclusively for a long period of time. So, you know, like your Bogart... I don't know if, I don't know if this was the exact arrangement, but like Humphrey Bogart would be attached to RKO yeah. for like 15 years, things like that. Or a certain number of pictures. Yeah. Tom seems to be in a similar thing with Sony at the moment. That Patrick Ness adaptation, I believe, is a Sony movie. That's going to come up in a minute. Uh, oh, God. Um, also, uh, Uncharted, the Uncharted film yeah. that he's doing is a Sony film. So, Tom's in a difficult position... And I won't be surprised if he just backed the fuck off for a few days. I mean, on Instagram, his comments, the last couple of pictures, have been people going like, don't pretend like you don't know what's happened, Tom. Tell us, update us. But it's like, guys, leave him alone. Let him take a breather. Let him, yeah, let him. according to these pictures, let him share that weird meme about Instagram sharing your photos. Let like, him drive around in his mate's car in LA having a good time with the top down. He is almost certainly the last person involved with this who will hear any updates. Yeah. Actors do not get this kind of info unless they're also producers they just get told by their agent whether mm. something is or isn't happening same with John Watts John Watts isn't going to know exactly no. what's happening yet he just knows he's contracted to make a film if this goes all wibbly wobbly and whatnot and things stall John Watts can renegotiate with Sony to be like right I'm not directing your Spider-Man film but I want to direct one of your other films on the slate negotiations can be made so that he yeah, gets to yeah. something else I just feel bad for them because they are now kind of in a position of Mummy and Daddy might be divorcing, and well, they eventually won't even get to pick who they stay with on the weekdays. They're going to be told who they stay with. Well, that sucks. Let's go to uh, our listeners and see what they've got to say about this. All right, um, listeners, we've what, got what, quite a few. What, what are we going to say about it? Go 
Really? Oh, nice. Would you like me to take that sock out of your mouth? Okay. Right, this one comes in from Ellie. Hey, Ellie. How you doing, Ellie? She says, dear, the big damn cast. Nice. Um, <laughs> I think one of my biggest problems with this Spider-Man situation is the timing. Spider-Man Far From Home. I think one of the biggest problems, Ellie, is your lack of hyphen between Spider and Man. Spider-Man Far From Home <laughs> was a massive success and left us on such a cliffhanger. From na- from For them now to take him away from the MCU is going to be such a... I don't know why I'm putting weird... Inflections. Inflections. I'm enjoying them. It's going to be too. such a shame. <laughs> I was really looking forward to seeing how the identity situation is handled. Yeah, me too. Mm. Um, Tom Holland is an incredible actor. He's very good. Um, and now I kind of feel bad for him as this is the second main role he has had where the filming has had complications. First, the issues with Chaos Walking, and yeah. now he's being pulled from the MCU. Chaos Walking, for those who don't know, is an adaptation of... Um, a doctor in distress. Me. La 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 la. Patrick Ness. Uh, he's got a trilogy of young adult books called, called Chaos Walking. Um, uh, Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley are starring in the adaptation. Daisy Ridley with flame orange hair, which really suits her. Actually, it's also a Doug Lyman picture, which also almost automatically leads to trouble production. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow filmed for nearly a year. Oh, so. good lord. And had three titles. Yeah. <laughs> so, this was also encountering some of the same problems. He came off the set on the foot on. He came on set on the second day of um, Edge of Tomorrow. It was like, right, everything we shot yesterday, we're gonna scrap that and do it again. He's that Jesus. kind of director. Oh, the kind that studios should hate because he just shits money away. Studios do hate. Oh, why did they make? Why did they give him films? Because he makes interesting. Fil- I mean, Edge of Tomorrow was really good. Yeah, but that's a lot of money down the shit. by all accounts, paying the ass to make, but yeah. Tom Cruise still wants to make a sequel, so there we go. Um, Can that have four titles? Apparently they're going to want to call it Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. See, that'd be funny, but that's confusing because it was only known as Live, Die, and Repeat in the tagline, and then on the home media release where the tagline was bigger than the title Edge of Tomorrow but to trick people into re- renaming it Live, Die, Repeat. And the original name was All You Need Is Kill. Which is the name of the light novel slash manga it's based on. Oh, good lord. But As long as Emily Blunt's in it, I don't care. Live, Die, Repeat is the title Doug Lyman wanted. Okay. So. It's a better title, to be fair. Edge of Tomorrow's a bit nothing. Edge of Tomorrow's, it? yeah, it's a bit of a 2000s disaster movie mm. kind of, yeah. Um, so it's Chaos Walking, really. What's the name of the trilogy? Yeah. Yeah. Call it. La 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 la, Patrick Ness. <laughs> uh, I think they sort of were, to, were desperate to take him from Disney, and they should have allowed one more film in the MCU containing Spider and then pulled him from the project. Hashtag Save Spider. Um, I I don't think the, the movie business works like that, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I get, I totally get you, Ellie, from an artist standpoint. I absolutely, absolutely get you. It would be nice to know that we were getting at least one more movie that was definitely part of that series that would give John Watson Co a chance to softly wrap up that story in a way like where... A, like a fresh sandwich in a muslin uh, drape. Like Mary Jane in the James Cameron Spider-Man treatment before he does a sexy dance. Nope. That exists. Nope. Um, it's freaking weird. Uh, but don't worry, boys and girls, he keeps the mask on, even with his spider dick out. So he also uses the F word. Yeah, he does, not Yeah, yeah. Jack has emailed us Hi, about, Jack. about the Spider-Man news and he's emailed us with words of comfort 
Says, hello, big damn wizards. The cocaine is under the fridge. It's okay. <laughs> no? Dis- oh, no, all right, never mind. Disney will eventually buy Sony out like Fox and all be right with the world. Then finally, Disney will buy an entire country and begin their bid for global and then galactic dominance, fronted by a resurrected Vault Disney wearing a Galactus-style helmet. Is this meant to be a comfort? <laughs> In other news, I'm afraid I've missed out a lot on the old podcast. I'm a good 20 or so episodes behind and I'm currently working my way through them. I enjoy particularly episode 150 where Matt is explaining all I've got to you. I find it very entertaining and indeed quite humorous. Hey! Hope to be caught up soon! Bless your eyes, Thanks, Squire. Jack. Thanks, Jack. Um, but yes, that's comfort, comforting news. Comforting news. In this, many a way. This one comes in from Ian. Hey, Ian! Um, and it's titled Spider Man Back to His Abusive Home. Oh! Oof! Oh, and he says, "Dear Chris, that's made me laugh more than it should have done." And also, Matt. Oh God! With regards to the news with Spider-Man, I've been requested to send this email on my boss's behalf. Oh, quote: If Sony wanted to continue producing Spider-Man films, then they should have continued with a series of animated Miles Morales movies. Yeah, and they probably will. To be fair. Um, Over on Twitter, my argument last night when the story broke was, like, creatively, it seems daft to get rid of this version of Spider-Man for multiple reasons, especially when Sony still have their versions that are completely theirs. They can make all the Venom-verse movies they want, and they can make all the Spider-verse movies they would like, and, you know, like, they can have their cake and eat it and then have more cake, like they currently, prior to this... Had. They're having a lot of cake. Yeah, they just want a bit more expensive cake. Well, they're like they're like um, uh, to you know to evoke Jim Sterling. They're like video game companies in that they they would rather make no money than all the money. It's all or nothing. If they're not making all the money, then they don't want any money. They can't just make some money. So weird, isn't it? It's very odd. Especially when some money to them is like all the money times four billion for the average company. It's triple capitalism. Triple cap- capitalism. Whatever he says. Triple A-latalism? Triple K-tapitalism. Thank God for him. Triple A! Um, <laughs> hopefully I managed to get this sent in on time. Excited to see Uncle Ben's pearl necklace ripped off him and break apart once again on the big screen. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Wrong film franchise. <laughs> Regards, Ian. John Luke Harry's PA. <laughs> ha! Ha! Thanks, Ian. Very good. That's funny. Very good. God, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, we've got some other emails, not about... Uncle Ben's <laughs> Sorry, that really tickled me. Let's dive um, into some other emails, not about the Spider-Man news. Let's just let that simmer for a bit, because yeah. no doubt we'll have an update on that next week. Um, of what to say, when what to expect when you're expecting... The removal of a very important character from an ongoing film narrative. Uh, this one comes in from Dan. He says, So I watched Hobbs and Shaw, and it was so bad. Oh. But uh? I enjoyed it. Hey. I've come to realise the less barbecues in a Fast and Furious film, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> I suppose because it has to be higher in octane and all yeah. that shit if they're not stopping to have, have a couple Budweiser's by the grill. If you had to cast Jason Statham as a character in the MCU, who would it be? <gasps> I was thinking Bullseye or Captain Britain. Hope you've had a good week, Dan. Wolverine. Not a bad shout. How's his Canadian? Doesn't need to be. True. Wolverine, 
was Canadian, but with an American accent played by an Australian. He's not, he's not from British Columbia, you're from Britain. Make him British. You make him Canadian. Just make him British. Make him Canadian. Nah, make him British. I told you, I don't want to do this anymore, Scott. Gene! I don't do this anymore, Mac! We were watching New Friend Roger Rabbit the other day. This um, is the worst day of my life. And it, it is a case of, like, you see Hoskins and that, and you're like, get him on the weights a little bit. Mm. Mid to late 80s Bob Hoskins would have been a great Wolverine. I'd put, I mean, he was great Mario. Um, <laughs> where he plays Mario Mario. Not to be confused that is with... His, that is his canonical name. Not to be confused with Luigi Mario. That, that is their canonical name. Oh, God. Because they're brothers, but they, are... they might be father and son in the live-action movie. They aren't it's the Mario brothers. So, yeah, but that's their company name. Yeah, it's in also the their surname. That's the name of their company. It's also their surname. It's so dumb. They're the Mario brothers. It's so dumb. That is such a terrible attempt at, like, a... Um, They're not two brothers, Mario and Luigi. Oh, God. That's true. Um, oh, jeez. Um, yeah, Jason I Statham. Statham. I don't think he's... I don't, uh, Captain Britain's supposed to be, like, a... of noble blood. <clears throat> but then again, he's... he's Captain sister's Psylocke, Captain so... Captain Cockney. Captain Cockney. Captain Cockney. Um, um, Bullseye is a good show. Actually. Bullseye, but, mm, yeah, well, Bullseye was floated around a lot because they floated around that for the Netflix one, didn't they? Yeah. People were like, "Oh yeah, Jason Statham was going to be Bullseye in season two of Daredevil, but they couldn't get him from the exchange script." Like, no, that never happened. Yeah. But all right, whatever. I, um, you know what? Let's give him. Let's give him. I know sounds weird. Let's give him a, a role that's less sort of punchy, punchy, gun heavy. Let's try and figure out one where he's a bit. He gets to be a bit more weird and wacky. Dominic Fortune. Which one's Dominic Fortune? He's um, MI13's magic dude. Oh! Yes! Okay. Um, yeah, I see that. Or... Oh, there'd be a lot more. A lot more Cockney. If you want to go action heavy, you make him Union Jack. Oh, fuck that. The X-Men property's coming in. Mojo. Uh, Mo-cap him to high uh, mo- Imagine Mojo pottering around talking like this. Can you do Irish? Let's make him Banshee. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, really gruff old long shot. Well, you know, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't do the role because I've got four, uh, fi- I've got four uh, fingers and two thumbs. Uh, so I cut off a finger on each hand. Corsair. Corsair. Yes, if you want to, if they ever go crazy, yeah, I mean, if come they ever on, just lose Matt, well, their minds Matt, Matt, and decide it, to do the Star Jammers. They found a way to do Batrock the Leaper. Oh, I'm sure mate. they could figure a backdoor into Corsair. Oh mate, um, fuck, that would be good. I'd like to see Statham play out in in a Guardians gun movie. He would fit those quite well, I think. Thinking of Fantastic Four, yes. Thinking <gasps> of the Frightful Four, yeah. Thinking of a Sandman. Or it's if if the or, Sony deal works out, because I imagine Sandman's more tied up in Sony than he is. Fox. Or oh, Pace Pot Pete. Yes, now that I can get behind. <laughs> okay, the trap stuff because he could play the frustration of being the shitty one <laughs> like, so well. Listen, this paste is state of the art. <laughs> it's supposed to stick anything to anything. So why can't I hold you down, you fucking stretchy bastard? Uh, okay, cut. Jason? Um, this is a 12A. It's a 12A, Jason. So, PG. I'm just... I'm actively channeling the frustration of my character. Yeah, you, you're playing the trapster, Jason. I took lessons for this. 
No, you're playing the traps. So you just you, you turn it down, all right? Oh, you I should have stayed a diver. You paste pot Pete. Paste. Pot. I'm not called that anymore, Mac. <laughs> I don't do this anymore, Mac. <laughs> I'm the trapster now. <laughs> you know. Oh, you can put, cast them against Typhon and be the wizard. Yeah. Oh, fuck! Yes. Like super intelligent. Yes, I like yes. Have we have we discussed who I think should be the thing? I think actually you might have suggested it and you put it in my head. Who's that? David Arbour. I seem to remember us talking about that. I can't remember if I floated it. I think it might it, be but... you. Yeah. It's you. It's always it's you. It's always been you. Who would you make the rock in the MCU if he weren't tied to the DCEU contract? Oh, by the way, we watched Shazam last week because the Blu-ray came out. Oh, yeah. I uh, already knew Dwayne Johnson was one of the exec producers on it. Yeah. But also when you see the figure, when Shazam is explaining to Billy the story, when you see the figure that they gave the power, it's obviously, you know, it's obviously Black Adam. Yeah. Um, you see the face in the hood briefly, and it, it's it's Dwayne Johnson. Like, it's not it's not like super detailed, but well, they have yeah. made those features it's his Dwayne Johnson-y, so that later on, if it goes the way they obviously would like it to go... Which I would want. They can flash back to... Yeah, because... Yes, because Dwayne Johnson would be a scary Black Adam up against um, a... Okay, this guy's actually terrifying Zachary Levi Shazam reacted to, but it would be really fun to see that dynamic. Yes. That film's great. It is. That is the best thing to come out of the DCEU, hands down. Um, Followed very closely by the first 95% of Wonder Woman. The Rock. (laughs) Which is damn amazing. The Rock in the MCU. Um... I think, again, I think we're talking about this. Doc Samson. Oh, he can't be, because uh, uh, Ty, Ty Burrell, Burrell is, is, is Doc Samson, is yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Phil Dunphy depriving us of The Rock wearing a big green wig. <laughs> if they don't go young with the original X-Men cast, then I'd make Dwayne Johnson Beast. I buy it, that. Because it plays his physicality. I buy that. in terms of his dialogue and character, it plays him against type. I buy that. Mocap performance. Yep. Um... Or, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in armour style performance captured combination. Yeah. Digital fur technology. Well, you could even Imagine do it. digital fur technology. You could even do it in makeup. <laughs> because mostly you'd be wearing clothes. <laughs> Jellicle X-Men come out at night. Yes. Um, but yeah, he'd be no, wearing a lab coat all the time. He, he would be really good at that, actually. And again, things like Jumanji and, and seeing him on SNL earlier this year, it's like, you could totally play that kind of role. Totally could. That'd yes. be great. Good shout. Yes. Have a biscuit. No. Oh, thank you. Good. I don't have any biscuits. Um, Lewis. Hi, Lewis. Yes. No. Says. <laughs> hello, big damn lads. Well, hello, Lewis. After listening to last week's podcast, I want to give my take on the toxic Doctor Who fandom. Yes. For those who don't know, yes. editors note: see last week's episode. Enough said. Uh, around 2013-14 I began to get really involved with the fandom and it felt like a home back in high school I was bullied quite a bit for liking Who but it didn't matter because the fandom was such a lovely kind and fun place to be I wasn't always enjoying the show but I was always grateful for how fantastic the fan base was now it's pretty fucking horrible I mean it's just a kids show the fact that we're 10 months out from series 11 and people are still fighting each other over stupid pointless and Fucking trivial things is pathetic. The whole rumour thing brought it out again and I'm pretty sick of it. 
It's got to the point where I actually don't want to talk about or engage with the show anymore because 90% of the time there's one of the not my doctor ugh, a lot in the comments. Every time I see someone getting joy from Doctor Who, particularly Series 11, there's someone who tells them they're wrong for enjoying something. It really saddens me in all honesty. I mean, can we not just all get along? During Chris's rants last week, I found myself agreeing wholeheartedly with everything he said. I'm so happy there's still reasonable voices out there, and it reminds me that an awful lot of the toxicity is a very vocal minority. Once again, thank you guys for being so wonderful on the Voices of Reason. I'll continue to recommend this fantastic podcast to everyone I know. Thank you very much, Lewis. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you, and Thank I'm you. I'm glad that... We offered some solace. We offered something, yeah. Um, in this odd, oh, toxic world that can be uh, surrounding the stuff we love. I mean, ultimately, the, the reason we started this podcast in the first place was down to the fact we talked about the shit we love anyway. We were like, yeah. let's just do it on mic and let's have a laugh. Let's just do it on mic. Like, Everyone uh, else does. <laughs> Maybe we can get a sponsorship from audible.com. Uh, you just want a physical co- promo copy of their alien stuff, don't you? It's a sweet little, sweet little incentive. I wouldn't mind... Um, I'll burn it off for you and make a cover out of a, co- a Kellogg's box. I wouldn't mind a, a copy of their um, full dramatisation of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. They've done a full dramatisation version of it. Have you heard um, Have you heard Michael Sheen's episode of David Tennant Does a Podcast with? No. He talks about it a bit in the... Uh, I think it's in the deleted chat episode really need to give that the up. last episode of David Tennant is like a compilation of just stuff they cut out of some yeah. of them and Michael Sheen's is I think it's in that it, he talks about his love of, his deep love of War of the Worlds and the fact that when he first met Jeff Wayne he just burst into tears and that's why he's casting that as the um, uh, the narrator the, narrator. the, 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 the what's it the narrator yeah. um, because he's never named in the original world because Jeff Wayne was just like do you want to he was like first choice he was like, do you want to be in it and he was like Yes, please. Oh, Michael Sheen. Um, he's wonderful. So yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's nice. To, no, he does he does all sorts of things. He recently he spent a lot of his personal savings on the homeless World Cup. Yes, staging in Cardiff. Yes, and he's um, got a charitable um, nature. Yeah, he does. Lovely man. Probably also a lovely woman. Don't know. Who knows? We'll have to ask one of his many exes. Um, <laughs> also, just a quick note on the discussion of alternate slash extended slash director's cut. I, l- <laughs> I love the extended cut of Terminator 2. It's the only version I'll watch now. Yeah, yeah, you, you big that one up, true, didn't you? Yeah. True, true, true. It's got the, the whole scene with the two Linda Hamiltons and the taking the chip out of Annie's head. Oh, yes! amazingly yeah. staged. Mm. And um, also makes the rest of the plot make sense. Um, <laughs> the version of Spider-Man 2 I grew up on was Spider-Man 2.1. And I still love the various additions to that. I can't remember what they added for that. Uh, just a few bits and pieces. Most notably, there's the extended version of the elevator scene with that guy commenting on his suit. Oh, okay. Um, there's a few extra bits with Doc Ock. And it's pretty good. T- t- 2.1, I'm not as familiar with it. I've only watched them. that version maybe twice. I think. They did that with the X-Men 1.5 as well. Which is basically they just put the deleted scenes back into it. Yeah, which they never did. There's an option out. on the Blu-ray. It was two separate releases. You either yeah, had X-Men I, I had, I or had, X-Men 1.5. I had them. I had them both. Yeah. And then I got rid of X-Men, I traded it in. But yeah, they didn't do the Blu-ray um, I, I don't know if I've sold my 1.5 or not. We're doing a... Uh, I'm going to chat with you, we're going to do a car boot sale soon. We're going to team up on a table, go and sell some shite. We're probably... Yeah, we can sell X-Men like like, We can... Just anything. Just I'll so, come and help bring, out. Bring, bring a shoe. Um, a solitary shoe. And then hold the other one to ransom for 400 quid. Like a B&M Doctor Who exclusive. Hold it to ransom. Like a scalper. Hold it for ransom for... 
Minor retools. Um, you do realise that the, the most recent ones are going... There's already someone who's putting them up for £600 each on on eBay. Disgusting. Sticking with the theme, then. Um, <laughs> Maximum 1.5 and car boot sales. I'd say that I'd love to see Sam Raimi's original cut of Spidey 3. From the trailers and novelisation and the onset photos, there's an awful lot that didn't make it into the final cut. Yeah, the novel's got some extra stuff in there that and kind of... I'd love to see it. ...fleshes out the black suit stuff a little bit and actually kind of um, expands on, on the Venom stuff in a way that suggests there was more he wanted to do to make it more personal to him. Because mm. Sam Raimi gave no shits about Venom and didn't want to do Venom, but then was made to do Venom by Ave Arad. Um and decided, well, if I'm doing it, I'm going to do it my way. Hence the goofball Parker. Because his version of Peter, a very 60s version of Peter, that is how he would act as a quote-unquote moody badass. Like, that's what he thinks being a cool, scary badass is. You know, dancing around, boogieing down the street, mopping his fringe like an emo over one eye. So it was <laughs> Sam Raimi was like, I'm going to take my style and put that onto that version of Peter. But that, of course, then made the whole Venom thing even more jarring. If I remember correctly, the book does expand a bit more on the aggressive nature that starts to take hold. And then Venom has a bit more of a role in that final act. Okay. Um, yeah, like, spider senses are tingling, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, Lewis goes on to say, uh, the, re- the recently released editor's cut was cool. And it was nice to see new footage of Maguire as Spider. But... The changes were very minor. It may not end up being amazing, but I would really love to see what Raimi's original version might have looked like. Same goes for Joel Schumacher's original version of Batman, Batman Forever. Forever. Yes. You get glimpses of what that's like on the Blu-ray slash double disc DVD With release. scenes. Yeah, um, there was more of an loads emphasis. Loads of the journal stuff. More of an emphasis on Bruce's uh, repressed guilt. And I must have seen some of that because I vividly remember... The shot of the bat? The big puppet bat? Yeah, the big bat. Which which, big... which even back then, apparently, in the storyboarding phases, they referred to as a man-bat cameo. Because it's nice. not man-bat, but it basically um... is a giant mutant bat. Which then got carried on into the production of BVS. But then after that, they referred to that as, like, the bat creature. And it even got a toy. It's but like, I... why? Why did it get a toy? But I think I, think I must have got this... Um... Either from the, I must have read a novelization, although I don't remember doing. It, so. Do you know what I think it or could be? But I, I seem to remember there being more stuff, like there being an, an, IT, an early an ITV, scene in the asylum, an ITV style uh, behind the scenes documentary. I yeah. bet probably because there was a lot of those the in the nineties, in the night yeah. where like HBO or NBC in the states would do a behind the scenes like special on an upcoming movie or a movie yeah. that was just about to come out. And over here in the UK, ITV tended to get hold of those and do their own Well, they do them now on Sky ITV did, I, ITV did them for like the last four Harry Potters, remember? Like, yeah. These especially. In Sky Cinema, do them. Because so, I, I, I know what you mean. Before I watched those deleted scenes for the first time about ten years ago, I remembered the bat. Yeah. That, specifically that shot of so, him face-to-face with it in the dream. And I feel like there was definitely some more Arkham Asylum footage. Because mm. that's the thing. Batman Forever is... It's... N- objectively it's not a good movie I'll I'll but go I think, for I think we will both go hey. I was going to say I think we'll both I'll go, go to Batman for, for Batman because it is fun there is a lot to love in there but weirdly the best stuff is the stuff that the film starts to touch on yeah and then stops it doesn't get there which is the stuff in the original cut about <laughs> Bruce's guilt because 
in the film he's like, I've been having these dreams, Doctor, and it's all you chase Meridian. And then it's just kind of moved on from almost immediately. But character development, that's why it also makes sense that he's a lighter character in Batman Forever because he's let go of his guilt in lighter character in Batman and Robin, sorry. Because he's let go of his guilt yeah. in Batman Forever. So he's moved on. And Because that was the way Joel Schumacher was treating it, is that he's yeah. been Batman for... I think he, in one of the behind-the-scenes things, he says he's been Batman for like six, seven years, something like that was the idea. Yeah. And he's been doing it for so long, he's forgotten why he's done it, because ultimately the whole thing is an exercise in repression. Like, he's, he, he, it's not become a, I didn't want that to happen to any other child, what happened to me. It's become a, I do this so I don't have to think about why I do this. I do often Wh- think... Which in itself is an interesting psychological approach to the character. I do often think that we've been harsh on Joel Schumacher for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Oh yeah, dude makes some dude does but, make some terrible movies with odd, odd choices. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, for example. Well, yeah, I was going to say. But then I remember Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I'm like, uh, um, so yeah, weird. Right, last email. Last email. Strongest man alive. That's not a thing. This one comes in from. Old time favorite BDC All Star Tom Monte. Dear Chris and Matt, hi Tom Monte. During the parting of the ways, we're going deep cut Doctor Who questions now. Matt and Chris, two um, lifelong Doctor Who fans, we looked at the answer. answer Doctor, Doctor Who, Who questions about the best season of Doctor Who ever made. Uh, Okay. Trial um, of a time lot. Okay, no, sorry. <laughs> season 23! Um, there is one... I mean, it's it's getting a Blu-ray release. It's been prioritised, well, I mean, and it's the next one to come out. It's not like you've got a lot of choice for Colin, really, is it? Oh, um, Colin. You were the best that you could be. And the got greatest a, thing since JMT. They've got to put off the early ones as well, so they work out what the fuck they're going to do with all the missing episodes. Yeah, oh yeah, true. I've been watching Josh Nair's missing episodes documentaries recently. Good stuff. I've, I need to catch up. I watched the first one, I think. He's got great hair, and um, he's got great hair and... Great opinions. Great opinions. And does good um, research. And, yeah, he really very deeply in. researched. But anyway, we're not talking about Josh Nairs, we're talking about Tom Sorry, Monty. Josh. Um, <laughs> during the parting of the ways, there is one beautiful scene, among many, in which the Doctor has prepared a hologram message for Rose. And at the end, <sighs> yeah. the hologram turns to face Rose and proceeds to say, have a good life. Do that for me, Rose. Have a fantastic life. I love this scene as well as that whole episode. What did you guys think of it? We love it! We bloody love we it. We love it. I imagine you talk about it at length on your 9 is 10, part of the ways. I don't know what you're talking about. 9 is 10 podcast. The 9 is 10 podcast available in its entirety on SoundCloud and YouTube. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify and you scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the Big Damn Cast feed, you will find all episodes of 9 is 10 we're waiting for you to listen to, should you mm. wish to do so. Sort of by thing. date. Ascending, it'll be at the top. Ascending um, order, is Ascending order. Uh, yeah, I, I adore that. It's however, so good. however, uh, what? And however's in bold. So you know oh, it. Thomas Montaigne, you. I have one tiny <clears throat> in brackets, so you know it's tiny. Ooh. problem with it. Uh. How <laughs> on earth did the Doctor know the exact position in which Rose would be standing at the end of the message and where to look in order to give her eye contact? Because don't you think it would have looked really stupid if he'd missed the angle in which he was meant to look and when he says that final line by a few degrees? I think you're meant to suspend your disbelief, Tom, and yeah, just enjoy it's... the moment. It's a moment that's there to, that's just meant to send some shivers down your spine, and that's it. Also, the TARDIS is telepathic. True. 
True. Yeah, it's a holographic message, but you didn't necessarily stand there on the spot and record it until it's Ed. I imagine it's reactive to its viewer. Yeah. To a certain degree. Well, you, uh, I, I, ultimately, it's, it's, it's a fairy tale moment, and it's there to make you go, oh, oh no. Um, because that line would not have had the... And it's also, uh, you know, it's a fairy tale moment as well. It's not diegetic. Because the audio changes. The audio changes to a, to a clear delivery instead of the hologram yeah. thing for that line. Um, it's there to... Uh, you know what? It, it, if you want to talk logic, it, it probably didn't turn to look at her when it said that in the moment. It's just... It's directional choice to explain how much it hits her. I wonder if that's in the shooting script or if it was a choice of Joe Ahern. We have to look that up, actually. Get back to the writer's tale! I've got the shooting scripts for series one. Oh, yeah. They, they the released the complete I think scripts. I've got the shooting scripts somewhere as well. Yeah. Interesting. The best series. The best scripts. Anyway. Um, the farting alien. And a little follow-up question. How long after meeting Rose do you think the Doctor recorded this message? Um, hmm. He probably did it. Well. He probably did it after Dalek, I think. I think after Dalek, he started, that's when he starts putting the contingencies together. You know what? I think, I think the answer is a complicated one. It depends on whether you accept the various spin-off media as canon and therefore the exact length of the Knife Doctor and Rose's relationship together. Um, I don't know, at some point between Rose and Pine of the Ways. God damn you, Watson. <laughs> he recorded it in the in the year he was gone between when he dematerializes at the end of Rose and then comes back and says, oh, and there's also a time machine. At that point in time, we thought, you know what? I'd better record a message in case, in case I go back to her and she comes and joins me. And then I have, and then something happens to me. I have to make it just in case, just in case. Do you think he has a, he has a bunch of emergency programs for every, it does because uh, there's an emergency protocol, isn't there? Later on, with the tenth Doctor's hologram appears and delivers a message to Martha, maybe Donna, um, and it's the same kind of thing. Like it's it's not like a full on scene. It's just kind of stood there and it's going like TARDIS emergency protocol, whatever. No, it's in Blink. It's in Blink. It's when oh, Sally yeah. Sparrow Sally puts Sparrow. the 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 DVD in the TARDIS console and the TARDIS reacts. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So there are reasons. Psychic turned a woman into an egg. <laughs> yeah it did it totes did oh that was fun god I love series one that was fun and I love you gentle listener I like you all love is reserved for the week yeah well you can get in touch with us during the week bigdamncontact at gmail.com thanks for your lovely emails this week everybody sent one in we'd love to hear more from you what do you think of the Spidey situation have there been developments since we recorded this if so what are your thoughts on that we'll have a look at them next week you can also tweet us at bigdamncast on twitter any thoughts on anything in yeah. fact just share random thoughts with us just random stuff send us gifts of Watto from the Phantom Menace don't um, don't because why not I'm sure there's more than three explain to us why Jar Jar was the key to all this it's like poetry stands as it rhymes. It stand, it's like poetry, it stands Jar Jar. Oh god. Twitch.tv slash big damn stream. You can also catch us on there again up to shenanigans yeah. over the course of the Yeah, we should be back to regular streams fairly soon. Fairly soon. If not by the time this podcast is out, then within the next week or so. But until so then keep an eye out for that. Until then, we urge you to dig up your Spider-Man soundtrack from 2002, listen to every song on it. And then ask yourself, who the hell are these bands? 
theory of a dead man. Yeah. Corey Taylor did bother for that soundtrack. Yeah, before and Stone Sour really became a prominence. Yeah, and then and then after that, it's always been credited to Stone Sour, weirdly. But I think that's because they must have done it on tour. It might be on but their it was, first it, album, you know. I don't think it is. What was the first album? I think it might be self-titled. Let me look! I've got them over there. Let on me the shelf. Look. We're going to go find out. We'll see you next week. You don't need to bother. Buy the song. Don't sue us. I don't need to bother.